boys we are back for another week of svs fly fishing podcasting oh man that song gets me in the mood for the christmas spirit have you, know? you missed a podcast year yet without that song uh, i i doubt it i don't think so <laughs> so you gotta keep it going every year i i i honestly don't remember if i played it from year to year but it's my favorite song so i'm guessing we did i don't remember <laughs> <laughs> oh hell no oh hey here we go Hey, don't make us annoyed, guys. Come on, for real. Hey, tonight's show is being brought to us by Predator Fly Gear. Check them out at PredatorFlyGear.com. A-Rex Hooks. Find them at A-Rex-Hooks.com. Mark, what'd you do with an A-Rex Hook today? Oh, we're going to be talking to someone tonight that built that hook. Mm-hmm. We, we should talk about that with him. Okay, we'll get into that a little later. Sims Fishing. Get all your uh, Christmas gear at SimsFishing.com. Hey, this production meeting is being brought to you live from the Urban Fly Company studios. Check them out at urbanflycompany.com. Yeti, built for the wild. <laughs> Queen City Guiding, our buddy Ryan Evans. Check him out for uh, guided services and flying tying material and flies on his website at queencityguiding.com. Hey, check out Ryan Evans, uh, Why Not Fishing, and their app, The Dock. Hit them all. I think we got it. Hit them up, hit them up, hit them up. Yeah, we got to hit on that one a little bit, though, so we can talk about that crap shoot I was telling you about over your house. Okay. Well, do we want to start with that, then? I don't care. Start with that. Start with yesterday. This is my favorite Christmas song ever. Yeah. We got a lot of... Let's into mine. Let's start with that, and then we'll hit on yesterday. What else do we got? Let's start with this. Hey, everyone that listened to last week's episode, 
we are sincerely sorry that we cut off the guys from the Smalley Talk podcast because of computer issues. The stuff that was being said after the computer quit recording was freaking oh gold. <laughs> um, we we should be glad that it didn't get recorded, but uh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I was keeled over. I don't think I've laughed that hard. I was bent over just dying. Those guys are cut cut from the same cloth we are. Those dudes are welcome Uh, on this show any day of the week. Yeah, we we got to line that back back up again. Maybe like January, February or something, get them guys back. Yeah, for sure. But tonight? Tonight, man, we have Gunner coming on. He got some new hooks out that uh, he helped design from our our boys, A-Rex. What is it? The PR-378? GB Predator swim bait hooks, man, they're pretty cool, uh, pretty cool looking hooks. And if uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go look up Gunner Bramer on YouTube and check out his uh, his intro to these hooks. And um, we'll we'll give you a minute to go check that out. And we're back. Okay, <laughs> it's you know like man, the hooks so cool. Uh, I think what a lot of the design where they added like a little bit more shank. Like almost in a Texas style, a lot hook. more shank, a lot more. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, up top for you for more material because trying to tie the same things like that on a, on the Texas style rig or anything like that, you just didn't have enough. And you know? I, I'm guessing you didn't watch the video. So did no? Did I don't you watch see, videos, Chad? Did you see the the two flat spots on the hook? In in the main part of the hook, mm. those are it's not a radius like a normal Texas style hook. Mm-hmm. It's flat, yeah. So yeah. you can tie rattles and stuff on. Mm-hmm. I lose on like let's say this six art right here, two total tie points. That's it. Okay. So think about the size of that, because I tie in like let's say like oh well no I guess it's gonna be more than that then because you have five two seven there's seven total tie points on let's say like a single. I can get four total and I'm going big with these ones because of the fact that you I mean you're not gonna get as many in there, so beef it up a little bit more. But like a single Buford, you can get all but you can get three quarters of the whole fly onto it. It's a little lean. It's gonna fish great. It's great size. Nice heavy hook. I bet it'll drop that fly good too. You know what I mean? A little bit. We're gonna find out. But yeah, I mean you can get three quarters of a full fly on it, or you can tie like bucktail deceivers, which you can fit a whole fly on it. Or you can do like Gunner does and add the the shank out the back. Uh huh. I mean, we're gonna get all into all this with with him, mm-hmm. but he adds a shank off the back with supported by two pieces of stiff mono, and it seems to uh, to work. And then when a fish bites, it it clamps down and moves that back half of the fly out of the way. Mm-hmm. Can just smash down on it. Yeah, it gets a hook. Goodness for people like him. <laughs> that has time to think yeah. about shit. Because you know what? <laughs> I know dang well holding this fly, as simplistic as it is, it's going to catch fish just the same as that would. I'm going to stop there. Yeah. I'll just keep messing with this in different colors and fine-tuning and adding things here and there. It's going to catch every little thing that you need it to right there. Absolutely. That's I mean, eight inches, Buford style, on that hook. That would be just fine. So uh, since we didn't do a little production meeting before the show... Where where do we want to start? Uh, we were going to talk about me taking your daughter fishing last week. That fly? I'm going to interrupt you yeah. just for a second. Yeah. That fly is going to be perfect for pike in some of the areas. Oh, absolutely. Where you're throwing in the log yeah. jams and shit like that. You can just drop that thing down. Think about early uh, spring, though, when they come up in. Mm-hmm. You can run this through whatever there is that little. Because a lot of times you're only in two, three foot of water. 
You can yeah. run it right down through them weeds that are sticking up there and not bury your hook right in front of the fish while it's sitting there looking at it. Mm-hmm. That'd be nice for that, too. Summertime at the lake, that the northern lake, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah, through all them weeds. Yep, yeah, absolutely. That's going to be clutch, yeah. Well, we're going to have to mess with that. That's where these flat spots on here are really going to come crucial is playing around, dipping these through weeds. Because if I, you know me, I'm going to start at the top, and I'm just going to see how far I can mess with it. Yeah. What do I need to do to keep getting down there where, you know. Where the fish are. Mm-hmm. Instead of bringing mm. them up, can I get down there and bump them in the face with it now? <laughs> and just keep screwing around and adding weights and different things to it and seeing what it does. And There'll be mm. a lot. Of, a lot of playing around. There's going to be a lot of playing with that. That'll be versatile for the bowfin we catch. How many times you slap it on a perfect cast and you stick it in two inches too far and you're stuck in the weeds? I was just saying that. Boom. I this was is just gonna saying slide that right to through Chad. That. You're yeah. not going to ball your hook up with a whole yep. bunch of junk and then have and to I mean, pull it back and out and blow that spot. And that's just such a like on, when we're fishing for them fish, it's like right. With this. You're the, if you're either yeah, you're either right there here. or you're not. Like if you go just a little too far, you've just screwed up a whole cast. If they make this hook even smaller, I mean, this is on a two odd here. I'm holding I like a, that a, one. a bucktail deceiver. It's about four inches long. It's, it's what we use for. All of our bowfin. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. Smallmouth oh, hybrids. Oh, smallmouth, everything, too. Hybrid, yeah. but, but for bowfin-wise, that's what we're yeah. using there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Awesome. So back awesome to what you are saying. We got, what, two book brookie trips and one muskie trip today. No, I want to talk about Chad's trip on Friday first. And a steelhead trip. And yeah. a steelhead trip. With, yeah. with the pops. Yeah. Go for it. So uh, I called about 15 people to see if they wanted to take a day off work, and everyone, everyone started out, yes, 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 yes. And ended up no, 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 no. And Jay invited his dad to come with me, and uh, I invited you and my dad. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> but that saved the day because I ended up having someone to go with because everyone else said no, no, no. Um, I said take my dad's steelhead fish and he wants to go. No, you said, hey, can my dad come? And then hung up on me. And then I said, I messaged you and said, yeah, your dad can come. And you said, good, because I already asked him. <laughs> That might have been how it went. I don't remember that, but that, that could be how it went. So, no matter, either way, we ended up going Friday, and Friday was cold as shit, boys. Let me tell you what. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, Rick came at, what What did he come at? He picked me up at 445 in the a.m., and it said 21 degrees here. When we got out of the truck at in Erie, it's a 19 and we went with your dad's buddy as well. Yeah. He didn't walk. He didn't walk at all. He he stayed at the, the, the holes yeah. right close to where we parked. His and, hips aren't doing so well. And uh, me and your dad, we walked up to as far as you can go because we, uh, we got some intel from, from our buddy Scott. And we were up there. And uh, the sun started coming up. And we started being able to see fish. We're like, oh, there's fish everywhere. They're everywhere. And uh, they weren't hitting because they were like us. They were cold, man. Um, about 10 o'clock, I finally had one hit a sucker spawn. An old sucker spawn mark tied <laughs> from back in the day. And it was a bigger fish. It's like seven, seven and a half pound fish. It hit. I set the hook. And it, I drug it in. I drug it across ice, <laughs> <laughs> and it just like kind of lay there. It was didn't fight at all. Not one single stinking. <laughs> Not bit. what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> On both ends. <laughs> yeah, it was like I set the hook and just like kind of drug her in. I was like, "Hey, Rick!" And he scooped the uh, scooped the fish, and there was like 
probably three pounds of slush in the net from when he <laughs> scooped the fish. No, gosh. So we, we took some pictures, and at that point, like, I had put the fish back, and my ass was cold. <laughs> so I sat on the I sat on the bank, and I was texting you guys, trying to, like, warm up a little bit. And uh, uh, I was like, uh, all right, well, I'm going to go down because, like, where we were, it was so low and so clear. We could see the fish, but we saw, like, two pods of fish. And I caught that one from the upper pod. And then your dad went up there, and he was trying to catch more from that upper pod. So I was like, ah, all right, I'm going to go down this lower pod that I had been seeing. I went down very next cast, caught another one. And this one, it, it didn't fight like that first one. I, I set the hook, and it jumped straight out of the water, like halfway, because it was still, you know, cold. <laughs> so it jumped halfway out of the water, like flop, 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 flop. And then it zinged a couple times. It gave me a, a pretty, pretty good fight for being a littler jack. It was probably like a four-pound fish. and uh, But it was pretty. It had the rosy cheeks. Every time I see those pink cheeks, I always think cold water. Because I know like when our kids are outside, they get the rosy cheeks. It means they're chilly. You know? I, I just I personify the fish. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, and then we, we proceed to bounce sucker spawns off of every fish's face in there and not touch another fish out of those holes. Uh, it was like 1230. I was like, hey, Rick, I think we sufficiently spooked every fish in this creek. <laughs> He's like, all right, let's move on down. So we walked down. Um, uh, you know where we were, Jay. Oh, yeah. I heard the whole story from two different sides. So, but, yeah. but you know where we were. Mm -hmm. uh, there's that little plunge pool with like the little waterfall area. Mm-hmm. We're like, ah, oh, there should be fish in here. There wasn't. So we ended up walking down. There's a big, long flat that's like ankle deep. And even if you look over on the, the side, there's like an indent in the, the rock formation. It like, it, it juts up. But the creek, there's a, a depression in it. On It'd be river left. Your dad walked over there and looked. He's like, oh, what's this black thing right here? And then it went, psh, looked like someone shot a shotgun full of steelhead. There were like eight steelhead that just scattered. So what do you do it with eight steelhead that just scatter in ankle deep water? You throw streamers at them? Keep walking. <laughs> no, you, you, you cast <laughs> flies at them and pester the shit out of them. <laughs> so Rick, he, Ricky ends up a... Uh, Hooking one in the south mouth real quick. <laughs> and he he got it to come off. So uh then uh like two <laughs> the south mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the tater shoot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I know. Then two casts later, he's like I see him lift his rod up, he's like, Oh, that one had it in his mouth. <laughs> like he's like, I saw it, it was in his mouth. And I'm like, oh, okay, man. But it, it got right off. And he fuck fiddle fucking around for another minute and uh he had a bucket, a little marabou streamer he tied. All it was was like a size 12 hook, like a size 12 sucker spawn hook with about three inches of marabou hanging out the back of it. That that, that was it. <laughs> Freaking hit it. I was like, ah, that's cool. So he got <clears throat> he got one out of there. He tied that himself too. Yeah. He, he was probably proud he, of himself. Oh, tickled pink, man. He was super happy. Um. That was the one. Okay, that was the one. Uh, that fish, 
your dad likes to fight with a rod straight tip up. Oh, always. Yeah. I'm like, Rick, put the rod tip down. Like, to bring the fish to me so I can net it. And uh, it kept, like, every time I get close to it, it zing away. I'm like, all right. And in the net I had, it only has, like, a real short handle. The fish fucking end up between my legs. And <laughs> I was like, I end up grabbing the fish and put it in the net. He's <laughs> 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 like, I wish I had a video of you doing that. I was like, yeah, I wish you did too. But I'm glad you don't. <laughs> uh, we end up going, walking down a little bit further. Like, we're, we're getting real close to the parking lot right now. And I'm like, hey, Rick, there's two fish right out there. Like, the way the, the creek channel runs, if anyone knows how eerie creeks are, they're shale bottoms, and every once in a while you'll get ledges. And the fish will sit right on the side of the ledges. Like, in, in it's, it's great cover for them, and they really blend in. Yeah, if you don't know they're going to be there, you don't know how to spot a fish, you probably walk right by them. A and, lot of times. And they're like morels. Even if you know how to spot fish and you're, like, you're walking, you don't really always see them. But once you see them, you can kind of start picking them out. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So, I was like, Rick, there's one there. And at this point, I had two fish. He had one. So, I was like, yeah, go go get him. And he had fished these fish, and he, he hooked one, and it came off. And then Brian comes traipsing down through the middle of the creek. He's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. you got to spook these fish to get them to hit. Like, Jesus Christ. And then your dad caught one. I was like, oh, shit. Whatever. And I was like, Ricky, put your, put your rod tip down. Bring the fish over to me. I can't go out that deep. I was like, bring the rod. He brought the rod tip over, and we, we nabbed that fish. That's another pretty fish. That was mm-hmm. a bigger fish. Mm-hmm. So then that was that at that hole. The one that he was lipping that had teeth? Yes. That, that was the one. <laughs> He's gentle with her mouth. <laughs> He's like Jimmy freaking Houston. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> so he he walked down a little bit, and I was like, I'm going to go up and fuck with these other fish that were like, that were like the, the shotgun blast of fish that were mm-hmm. up in ankle deep water. So I walked back up there, and, uh, I did the same thing. I snagged right in the middle. And I walked out to get my thing, and then they went. Psh. There were like thirteen or fourteen fish in there, in a just a little hole. Maybe if that entertainment center was laying down, in a hole that big. Hmm. So I ended up spooking them all. I was like, eh. so you're like eight by six. Yeah, yeah, probably eight by six. So I ended up walking back down, and your dad was like, "Ah, oh, we're right at the parking lot." And uh, he was he was throwing that marabou fly again, and he was jigging the bobber, jig 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 jig, and he had one whack at it, and I came out, I netted it for him, and there was a a local dude on the other side of the creek, and he was fishing a spinning rod, um, so your dad landed that first steelhead. I was like, oh, cool, man, cool, that's. What, that's that's three for Rick. I had two. I was like, oh, okay. And Rick said, hey, get get up in there. I said, okay, I can do that. So I tied a Murdich minnow on on my my rod. That I took two rods. I had a, a nymph rod and a streamer rod. Very first freaking cast. I let that Murdich minnow sink down. Two strips. Boom. Oh, it got tight. I was like, oh, whoa, whoa. What's this? Like, it hit like a. Like a hybrid would. Like, mm-hmm. I felt it snatch and turn its head and eat. Like, I was like, oh, 
this cold. And uh, I got on the reel real quick and pulled it in. I was like, hey, Rick, you get, get that goddamn net. This is a brown trout, bro. <laughs> That's the first brown trout I ever caught out of an Erie trip. Hmm. So it, it was cool. Um, a strip fly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it ended up going about three pounds, I'd say. Yeah, it was a decent fish. Probably 19, 20, 19 inches, something like that. It wasn't monster. Stocky little thing, though. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. a, oh, there we a monster fish, but for a lake run fish, it fought good. It gave me everything I wanted. Then your dad then pulled another one out. Um, I think we ended up day with eight fish. Ain't a bad day. Between all. three of us? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Many people out? No. Um, that's what twenty some degrees does. Yep. There was when we Perfect were time. when we walked away. Rick and I only saw Rick and I. We came back down. We fished that hole right at the parking lot. We had the one local guy that was fishing across from us. He ended up catching three. He gave all three the eerie shuffle. Oh yeah, huh. He's super local. He, he slid his finger up in the gill. Oh yeah, held him vertically. Yes, looked him. He gave him the rocks people the people's eyebrow. Er. And got the, the hook out. <laughs> Released them away. Released them away. They swam away strong. Um, <laughs> but did he release them right? Set them on the rocks and keep kicking them until they get to the edge? Well, he... he got to finish the eerie shuffle. He he was at creek level. Like, he wasn't in the creek, but his toes were like... Oh, uh, gotcha. A centimeter away from the creek. So, he like... He, he put them back in the water. Um, <laughs> so, we saw him. And then... As we were leaving, there were three people. Brian ended up wanting to fish that hole from where the local guy was. And your dad and I were just standing on the side of the creek. And these two people came and were like, or three people. They're like, oh, you guys fishing here? Like, oh, we're leaving. He's like, oh, are you? They're like, yeah, we're, we're just leaving. He's like, do you mind if we slide in? It's like, you can slide in all you want, buddy. I said, but she can slide in really good right here. <laughs> He didn't think I was funny. <laughs> oh, and the, the local guy was heckling him. I was like, hey! He, he missed a fish. I was like, boo! <laughs> he didn't think I was funny at all. <laughs> so. But that that was the, the day with Rick. At least he had some good times. Yeah, Rick, man, we had Rick a good time. always a good day to spend on the water with. It is. It is. He's, a, he's a grinder. For yeah, sure. Yeah, he doesn't and give a shit. He bought us some cold cut subs from... Subway? Oh, they hit the spot. Oh, speaking of that, I forgot to ask you when we left yesterday. I wanted to stop in that little town and grab a sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. That place you're talking about. Yeah, that is a good place to go. Yeah, I forgot about it. We ended it out on eight. I was going to take Macy there last week, and she didn't want to stop. No? No. Well, you had enough snacks. You brought, your, you brought her a bunch of stuff. I did. Sardines. I brought those for me. You dick. <laughs> yeah, she's like rattling this stuff off. I was like, Chad? Really? Like, wow. I was impressed. He yeah. did well. Yeah. He did. He did good. You got to take care of the kids. Exactly. I let the kids catch fish. <laughs> Believe me. I, it was tough. I, I What did I make? Five, six casts the whole time. Yeah. It yeah. was, she fished the whole, I guess we're going to yeah. hit on yesterday now. Well, as well. let's hit on me taking her real quick last week. Yeah, started off. With oh that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we didn't get to that w- either. Yeah, wh- that's where right. all this kind of started. So how how did this start, Mark? How did all this we were nonsense watching. start? <laughs> One night we're sitting around a couch and I put Dos boat on Dos boat, 
and I forget somewhere across the line a brookie came across. I don't know whether it was the beginning, like the intro. It was or when something. Y- it was when Yanni caught it, probably. Probably, yeah. And she's like, "I like little fish." She's like, "I want to go catch them." So, all right. And I go, "Well, Jay and Chad will kind of be the ones that get you started there." And if you like, I said, "I'll kick in with you, but you know, let them take you. They know what they're doing. See how you like it." And Jay's, I talked to you about. It. You're like, "Yeah, I'll take her." And you had stuff going on, and next thing you know, you're like. Hey, I got a pass to go Saturday morning. You care if I take Mace? No. She's like, Yeah, I want to go. No, you came over and we were doing, doing tails. Doing tails. And that's uh, right. That's said, right. Hey, does Macy want to go fishing Saturday? You oh, said, she's always up for it. You said, Yeah, I got to work. Said, All right, let's go. And then my wife was like, Do the Burnses know you're taking Macy fishing? I said, yeah. <laughs> like, why wouldn't they know I was taking... She's I'm going to steal their child and, and take they, her fishing. No, and then she said, are they okay with it? <laughs> I, I said, Ashley, I've babysat Macy before. Like, wh- I, didn't I have a fucking kid of my own. <laughs> I, I mean, for God's fucking and, sakes. And, and mind you, she's almost 13. Yeah, she's, she's a fucking she's a teenager. But, but then Ashley's like... But she's a girl. I'm like, that doesn't matter. We're going fishing. She got to go pee. I tell her to go pee and take some oh, stuff and go over there. She'll, she'll be Which she didn't go. do. Yeah. I was, like, I was, I was in the she clear. She didn't even go the whole time. <laughs> no. Not that I know of. <laughs> oh, she'll go in the woods. Yeah. I she's did. been out with me enough. She, yeah. But, uh. She's used to it. We, we, we went, uh, same place you guys went yesterday. And her and I. We dropped down the the road further away from the creek than the normal. Like, there's a a big wet spot, and we dropped down there. And the minute we got down there, I looked up in this tree, and I was like, Hey, Macy, come here. Look at this. This this is probably the coolest thing. Even if we catch fish, this is the coolest thing we're going to see all day. She's like, what's this? And she's like, what what the hell's wrong with you? (laughs) So I showed her this big black knot on a yellow birch tree. She's like, well, what is it? I said, that's what they call changa. It's a it's a mushroom, and people use it for medicinal purposes, and like you can drink like, like microdosing. No, 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 oh. no, not <laughs> not that kind. Okay, but like people will dry it out, make it into coffee, hmm. and all kind of cool stuff. But like it's it's super rare and super expensive, and but we we found a, a chunk of it, and I was like, hmm. oh, this is really cool. Like we've started the day off cool already. So, did you harvest it, or do you have to wait till it's like good? Is this, it not good right now? This is the good time of year to to harvest it. Um, I couldn't find it on the way walk back out. Ah, okay. <laughs> I took a picture of it, and we just we were ready to go. Uh, sure, sure. And I I saw like what we thought was it, but we weren't sure if that was the one. It wasn't like as big, and we're like, eh, we're gonna leave it. I was like, whatever. Um, but we ended up. Macy caught one um, all by herself. I was like, I was standing way back from the creek, like on the opposite side of the creek. I was like, hey, cast up under that tree, and uh, I'm going to sit here and text your dad and heckle him a little bit and take a picture of you and send it to your dad. And she's like, oh, I got one. I got one. <laughs> and I, I had taken my, my actual camera and everything, and I had my backpack off at the moment. And I left it there. I left my rod there. I left everything there. I came over with a cell phone. And I was like, oh, yeah. So we got a bunch of cell phone pictures of uh, 
mace with the brook trout. So that was pretty cool. And then uh, we walked just a hair bit high. What fly were you using? Oh, uh, she was using a big foam, or not a big foamy fly, a little foamy fly with a copper john. So the the copper wrap body was just enough to get it down, and uh, it was perfect. Um, and she walked up to a whole. You could see some structures up on the hill, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's a log that goes across, and a bunch of mushrooms on the log mm-hmm. called mm-hmm. Turkey Tail. I, I think you know where I am. Yeah. Okay. She cast up toward that log, and had a brook trout come up and hit the dry fly that we were using as an indicator. And you know, it was three minutes after she caught the first one, so I was standing off the bank. Texting pictures to everyone, like her mom, her dad, my wife. Everyone was texting pictures to him. Oh, oh, yeah. And she, she had another one hit. I was like, oh god damn it, that was so cool. Um, then after that, we walked up to a, a really cool hole, a cool hole, and uh, <laughs> and then she stood on a, a log on the bank we didn't realize dropped into the water. And when she stepped on that, there were like 12 brook trout that just, <laughs> they shot out like the steelhead that your dad almost walked on to. <laughs> was it super clear? Oh my God, Jay. There was like a third of the water in the creek bed. And uh, you could see every, you could see every bug that was crawling on the bottom. Everything. That was yesterday. We, we probably ended up seeing 30 fish. We caught two. Yeah. There's a lot of them in there. There I, is. I, I bet we saw a dozen yesterday or, or more, 15. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw four or five this hole, four or five that hole. Once and you catch one out of a hole, the rest of them aren't going to do anything. They're already spooked. And we both had our own set of stir- circumstances because Mace and I went on last day of deer season, so we had to wear orange. You know, we, st- we stood out like pumpkins. But you guys had four people, which I don't know which is worse. We had four people, and we got a bunch of snow. You guys didn't have as much snow. No. You didn't have any snow. No. The the higher we went up the creek, the more snow we got. Gotcha. Yep. But by more snow I got, I mean, there was a little bit on the ground. There was quite a bit of snow yesterday. And it was, I mean, the creek was flowing a little, but it was, it was like we said, it was super, super clear. And it was it was tough to get fish to even move at first, you know. A little cooler in the morning. Kids like my fucking feet are cold, and I'm like, I know they're. It's, you're gonna be fine. Just Go keep run walking. Around. Just Go keep run walking. Around. And she kept walking and walking. She chewed pretty good though. Yeah, she didn't she do bad. Did good. I was getting her to flick the fly rod around a little bit. You know what I mean? Even getting to try. You know, and just here, watch. This is all you got to do. And just you know, little flicks. You can, and as you you know. As your fly comes toward you, you just pick your rod up a little bit, and you just aim your fly right back out where you want it to go again. Just flick it. Boom. Little flicks. You don't have to be fast or anything like that, especially not in an area like this. Because the faster you move, more trees you're going to be in, mm-hmm. more foliage. You know, just you can move your fly back and forth. You know, and she, not that she's going to, you know, be that, but just, just to get the actual, just the, you know, little flick of the fly. Didn't see anything. But she was standing right next to me when I hooked the one that I hooked. So, uh, we we saw a picture of the one Mark caught. How big was yours compared to that one? Uh, a little bit bigger, because there's no pictures of it. Sure, <laughs> no, it was it was a good fish. Mace Mace was over there. 
and Rye grabbed one and one to hold it, so I made her get her hands wet. <laughs> it's like twenty degrees. I'm like, put your hands in the water, kid. <laughs> I just let it sit there on the hook. I didn't have a net or anything. I just let it sit on the hook, like right in front of me for a while after I pulled it in. It took me seventeen minutes. Chad knows how I fight brickies. <laughs> so <clears throat> I'm like letting it run around out there and stuff. I was like, hey, Rye pulled it in, you know, and I was letting her reel it in and fighting it with horsehair tippet. Oh yeah, was, you know, she's pulling it in, so we got it in and I don't know, probably about the size of my palm of my hand. I don't know how big that is or whatever. Maybe a little bit bigger than that. Something around that. And, and Bri grabs it and she's petting it for a second. And, you know, I pulled, while she had it in her hand, I pulled the hook out of its mouth and she, I had told her to let it go. Pretty fish. So Pretty look at fish. It. Oh, it was nice. <laughs> it, it had no par marks. That You know what I mean? When yeah. they get, you know, they lose them, they get a little bigger. And it had just had the, all the dots, all the dots. He wasn't uh, like yellow, like the one you caught that one day. That one, I want to see him again sometime. I think he, I think I know where he's at though. He was right there, man. That that one that I caught was right there. I, man, I think he's in the hole with all the 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 hangover or the, like the tr- like the tree limbs coming into it. I think I had him come up at something. Did he you? Looks a little bigger now. He was with about fifteen other ones, <laughs> all hanging out there. When we walk back down, I'm like, hold on, Rye. I got to try this one spot <laughs> before we walk out. Like, and he came up. I missed him. And then uh, I watched him swim away with, oh, the one that he was with was a little smaller. Wow, what red. Just the whole underbody of this fish was just red, red, red as shit. Like, looked like the one you caught, Mark. Like, just gorgeous. I had, the one I caught had the real black under the okay. jaw, like super yeah. black under the jaw. This whole, like, bottom face with black. They're all pretty. You know? Oh, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Very unique to their own selves, too. So when Mace and I went, that, that first hole, the big hole, mm-hmm. if you leave there and go upstream and the creek bends 90 degrees to the right, mm-hmm. there's that very first tree mm-hmm. on, on river right. We spooked a fish out of that, under that tree. It was probably nine inches. It was a big brook trout, man. <laughs> yeah, that one. Luckily, we need Mark water to get them puppies to eat. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. As soon as you get that water, they'll make a mistake. But after you guys did that, and like she fell in love with it, I was like, I got to get her a rod. I broke both my five weights. I don't have anything. And that's a chance. Like, go check out the ones that Risen has. They have a hundred bucks for a seven foot six three yeah. weight. So I drove down, grabbed one of them, and the uh, night before we went, gave her that. And she said that made a world of difference. She said, this is a lot easier to cast. Yeah, because she was using my butter stick. Which oh, is, she was also a lot happier with the fact that we walked to the end of the guardrail, and it's like walking just a steady incline down. It's real nice and easy. It's just like, I don't like going down hills. I'm like, I don't know, Mace. So <laughs> we we got to come down this hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just walked up. I was like, wait, if we go up here, it's just a nice, easy walk down. <laughs> I like this way a lot better. <clears throat> she fished good. We hit, I can't tell how many spots up through. And then one, there was like this tree overhanging. It was like covered. And the only way to really cast is like to throw the fly behind you and then slap it like up into it. She's like, I can't get into that one. So I dropped down in there and first time, little fish comes flying out. Second cast up in, comes up and whacks it. Made a mistake. It hit top water. Top no, water? No, it took the nymph. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. I saw the picture. Pretty, the pink squirrel, thing. man. Mm-hmm. The pink squirrel is where it's at. That's what mine hit, too. 
Yeah, she came over. Beadhead or no beadhead? Had to be beadhead, right? Yeah. Yeah, beadhead. What color? Silver or gold? Gold. Gold? Mm. I had a good camera with me, so. Yeah. She had my phone. I was like, here, take a picture. And I was just like sitting in the water. I got my camera and then I held it up. She took a picture and got it with a good one. That thing had a lot of colors in it. Oh, yeah. I can't tell you the last time I caught one of them. I don't even know. Six, seven years. Well, oh, yeah, the, float. the float. Yeah, the float. The float. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The float. That was right at the mouth of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah. That was that fish moved out. <laughs> he just he just said, oh, "I'm too big now." Yeah. The hell with that. I need the real food. Got two of them right there that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were lucky. Yep. Yeah, it was a polar extreme weekend there. What this weekend now? Do we want to get into what you did today? Wait. May as well. We still got yeah. time. Yeah. So so yesterday you went brook trout fishing. Mm-hmm. Today, you went hook testing. It, it looks like mm-hmm. I went to go mess with a muskie and left <laughs> left Jay at home. Yeah, sorry, Jay. That's all right. No, get into that for a second. <laughs> that that makes for good radio fodder. You know, well, <laughs> no, I, I I woke up right on time. I like honestly, I set my alarm for six. I was up at like six twelve, and uh, you know, did my coffee, poop, blah blah blah, moving out of the house. I didn't notice we got all this snow. Like, even going out back and doing, my, you know, my coffee and my chill for a second, like, I never, like, you couldn't, you can't see it because it's snow going on top of snow. I go out front and I'm like, fuck, dude, my car's got like an inch and a half of wet-ass snow on it. <laughs> my wife's car's behind it. It's got an inch and a half of wet snow, so I bust both cars off and, like, throw my shit in them, move her car, and the fucking Orchard Road is just atrocious. I'm the first person to drive on it all morning, basically, and there's, you know, an inch and a half of wet wet snow and i'm driving like fucking grandma you know i'm like yeah white knuckling and shit you got that wet ass snow oh it was (laughs) awful man yeah wet ass snow was was instead of walk uh yeah man it took me like 25 minutes 20 minutes to get the mark's house on the back roads and as soon as i get the hermitage out of middlesex like there's been piles there and i hit horvath farms and I get to Mark's house, I'm like 15 minutes late, and call Mark, like, you leave already? I don't see a truck. I'm, I'm in your driveway, and there's no truck. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I should have texted you on the way. I I, I should have known better. I, I just did my fucking phone was all the way down in my pocket, and I was on the... Yeah, it's like almost a quarter after. I'm like, you know what? He probably woke up, saw his crap going, I'm going back to Mm-mm. sleep. I thought and musky I like, usually, day. Usually, I hear from him. I get heading down the road, and here he calls. <laughs> oh, sorry, dude. I figured you were sleeping. I was. I actually had a. I had to get some final Christmas shopping done, so I went and clotheslined an old lady for the last toy at Walmart. <laughs> Fucking drop kicked her right, right next, uh, right off from underneath her cart, dude. Did you give her the people's elbow? Yeah, Abby's like, oh my god, I can't believe you did that. And you like, say, run, bitch, run. <laughs> like, run. Your, your, your hand's broken, not your fucking legs. <laughs> so, yeah, we got, you know, I got some shit done, and it was nice that I got it all done, and I, I needed to organize some of my fishing shit. I couldn't find fucking anything, and I'm in complete disarray. I haven't fished for, that's the first time I've gone out yesterday since the Niagara, so it's been a while. The roads were, they were fine. For probably the first 20 minutes and then they got crap it's like that's where the plow trucks hadn't hit yet and it was all like heavy 
couple inch slush and mm-hmm. nice part was is the only person there there's a person that got there before me running like boy you're dedicated big dummy you are <laughs> dedicated what the fuck is wrong with you yeah two people running i kind of did the same thing as last time hopped in kind of hit them same couple spots and Made the first couple passes through and didn't move anything. And using this fly, I'm holding now. It's kind of messing with it. It's that one the, we talked about with Gunner coming on his new hook. So trying to it's like a bulkhead. Yeah, this Deceiver. is yeah chartreuse over white bulkhead. You know, it's kind of working it through like the deeper spots there. I know them fish are sitting down deep. So it's like all right, we can drop it down into the top of them trees and work it through and hit the first couple spots. Went back and forth and then. I uh, worked like right up on the flat where I lost that fish at. Mm-hmm. And then I started fanning it and then I went down into the center and I had dropped it down in pretty deep. And I'm coming back and a fly at this point is coming back up out of it. I got an intermediate on, but I count it down. It's probably, fly was probably fishing at about five foot at that point. And like Chad Wilder told us, you know, then pike will come up out of that deep spot and hit. It's like all of a sudden there's nothing there. You know, like strip, nothing. Oh, there's a fish. And I just keep stripping as fast as I can. It probably took like four strips to catch up to it. (laughs) Then I finally felt tension. Like, yep, there it is. And as soon as I hit it, I was just, I was really leery. I was like, this thing can't be hooked good. And it was like one of them, like all in one swoops. You set, sit down, pull the rod up, and the fish is, I pretty much just drug it right into the net. It was like three to four seconds, fish goes into the net. Yeah, fuck it. You should just drug it up on shore like everyone in the area does to steal it. Yeah. <laughs> get a gill rake and yeah. pull it up on. Yeah. So I get in, I know Give it's going to be hot. And I, I, as soon as I get in the net, I, there's like a little spot, like right at the bank, right where you land at, and it drops straight off. So it's nice and deep there. And I set it there, and then a fish goes charging, and it catches the net on the left side on a corner of the stupid log that's there. So the fish is fine. He's got plenty of room because he's right smack against the log, just underneath it, swimming as hard as he can, <laughs> trying to go forward. And he's swimming, so the net's caught. Well, as soon as the fish went into the net, the hook popped out. And from the fish pushing up into it, it eventually starts wrapping where the hook was. So I get a hold of the fish by the tail, and it's at this point I thought it was unhooked. So I start pulling on the fish. I'm like, what is going on? So... Th- I can't move the fish because I pull the fish back. It's caught. I'm like, it's un, it's unhooked. How's it caught? The net's caught on the top left. I'm like, this is just a mess. Here, the fish had pushed the hook into the netting, and it spun into the fast hatch. So the fly was hooked to the netting, and the fish rehooked itself in the side of the face. Mm. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I reach in, unhook the fish, like, kind of lift its tail up, push the net off, and then after that, it was everything ran smoothly. Smooth sailing. It was a nice little fish, probably mm-hmm. 38. It was solid. A couple quick picks, set it in, and it was still full of piss and vinegar. Yeah. Like, I'm out of here. With the way that it acts in the net? <laughs> Fuck you, guy. Yeah. Yep, I'm good. So went back up to the one spot and then pulled the fish out I caught last week. He came out and sniffed again, came right up behind the fly and darted off. He's like, yeah, I'm not screwing around tonight. He said, I've seen this Yep. last week. So it was a nice the water was too low, though. I mean, if we had more water, it would have been nice. Give me a little more room to figure eight. Some of the areas that you bring the fish into, there's just no room to do it now. But just water is so black. That water gets so dark with all the this time of the year, the runoff. 
A lot of tannic from the leaves probably in the water, too. <clears throat> no, whether it's that or just what it is, but it turns it, but it's almost black. I'm going to come there with a four or five inch uh, little changer and see if I can get one of those other striped fish. Oh, I'm telling you what, I bet you you could. I know. I I was going to do it yesterday or today. I was like, man, I got I got told I might just take seven way too. See see what happens. Shit, those fish are eating bluegills. Throw it into the into the logs and they'll probably come out after that. The muskies probably will. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, I, I'm not you know you know doubting that fly any any which way. I'm just saying, you know, be cool to see one of them too. <laughs> Either way, I think but. you would. I've only ever had one come up there. They're definitely in there though. See. That was today. Hell yeah. Musky. Four inch brook trout to throw in flies twice the size of the fish I caught yesterday. So how shoot. In in relative spectrum to the fish you caught yesterday, how big is this fly compared to it? About the same size, right? No. That fly's probably an inch and a half or two bigger than the fish yesterday. <laughs> that fish yesterday is probably four inches. That's it? Yeah, it was only maybe five. It was only that big. Oh, okay. Thought it looked a little bit bigger. No, it was it was real small. Maybe yeah, maybe four to five inch. I was it was probably five tops. Okay. Yep. Because of the where my wrist is, it's up to you where my ring is. Yeah, figure it had nice. It had still had nice par marks on Balls. it and everything. Yeah, it had the big blue spots. Yeah. So it had to still be a little bit young. That was a clean fish today Beautiful, too. I only had one jacked up fin, bottom left. Uh huh. Everything else looked good on it. I never really look at fish while I'm holding them. I don't ever. I just see it back in the pictures. What? No, I, I just caught up in a moment and like, and then caught I, up. I stare at the fish. <laughs> and then like when I go back and look at the picture, I'm like, God damn, that was a pretty fish. Yeah. I did look at the, the second steelhead I caught on Friday. I was like. Man, it got like all these little lines in the pink cheeks and like so much texture in their face. I like looking at like a hybrid right in the eyeball because it's just like that just, big yellow yeah, ball. Yeah, big ass yellow ball just staring at you. You're like, oh, that's a cool look. All blacked out. I love it. Man, uh, I didn't eat anything goofy this week. I have no. No poison fish fillet stories. Oh, you didn't poison yourself this week? That's good. No. Um, I tried poisoning myself with alcohol one night, but... I'll tell you what. We got a lot of feedback about the poison fish fillet story. Oh, I, people <laughs> loved it. <laughs> I told Mark's wife about it uh, last night. Or Friday night. She was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. You're yeah, a big, dumb animal. That, that was You're just a hit. big, dumb animal. <laughs> so how did Friday night go, Jay? Oh, it was fun. Fun. Good. <laughs> yeah, good time. I mean, we drank drank a good little bit. Not, I mean, I didn't get told. I got to the point where I had to, I had to, I was like, all right, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to chill. I'm going to chill for a second and kind of sober and chill. And But yeah, we had a good time. I ate some great food. They had some, what, they cooked cook prime, some prime rib that was uh, as good as any restaurant. As good as Iron Bridge that we've been eating at for years because you you know couldn't go get it. So kind of the same deal here, and it was, man, oh, banging. 
Nice. Mm. That's good to hear. Mm. You need to do one of those one of these nights. Oh. I, I know that's, that, that's not a cheap piece of meat to no. buy either. Sat, Saturday afterwards, I stayed at home and played Susie Homemaker and folded laundry and vacuumed the floor and just, you know, tied it up around the house and shit just to make my wife happy. And uh, while I was doing that, I was watching How to Barbecue Right on YouTube. If anyone is looking for something to do that's entertaining, there is a fat dude on YouTube named uh, Malcolm Reed. He's How to Barbecue Right, and he is the most entertaining person to watch ever. Um, but he was barbecuing a, a prime rib. And I was like, oh, that's so good. And I text my mom. I was like, how'd the prime rib come out last night? She's like, I don't know. I didn't get that you have any. Dan took two pieces. <laughs> he did. He did. And Timmy ate some bones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had a great piece. But, oh, man. So even funnier, a good, not a fun, great story. Here's here's uh, my, how my night went last night. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I get that. I'm passing out on the couch. Like, Sleeping early, I was in bed eight. Well, I was probably in bed by nine thirty, but I was sleeping on the couch at eight thirty, trying to watch football through my eyelids, and uh, go to bed. Wife, you know, she stays up being a good wife, and we are Santa's elves, you know, and she's being Ermy, the fucking Santa's little helper, and <laughs> she's not being a dentist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's down there doing her good job, and so, you know, what do you do when you write presents? I drink beer. Exactly. You have a couple drinks, so she had a couple drinks. I, I mean, I'm fucking assed out, and, uh, you know. But <coughs> she was celebrating she that comes, you weren't around. Yeah, she comes. <laughs> <laughs> she, she comes to bed, peace and fucking quiet. His big loud ass stop. He's uh, not trying to shove his nose up my bee hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank God. Well, comes to bed, and you know, whatever normal time, you know, wakes up to go pee. Comes coming back in bed. Dude, all I hear. Like, I remember leaving. I passed back out, you know, and she'd come. All I wake up to is just boom, boom, gosh, gosh, fall. She ends up, she slipped on some clothes that were on the floor. Who knows? I don't think they were mine. They could have been mine. And, uh, yeah, she breaks her hand. And that was, that was last night at. And what's your wife do for a living? Cuts hair. Using scissors? She's a cosmetologist, and it's her hair cutting arm. It's her, it's her right hand. So, not good. But yeah, that was uh. She, and I didn't think it was so bad, and I it, apparently her uh, vagina's broken now because of all my smart ass fucking comments. It's not broken; it's just closed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that what that's called? Yeah. <laughs> it's broke too. I broke it in the fall too. The garage door is closed for business. So, I'm probably just baby her a little bit, keep my mouth shut for the next couple of days. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> Oh my god! I hedged my bet today while I was out shopping. <laughs> I was like a thirteen-year-old boy this morning. My son had his first uh, sleepover last night at his buddy's house. Oh, cool! So uh, I was pestering my wife this morning, I was like, "Hey, yeah, hey, 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 hey! I'm poking you in the butt with <laughs> this thing. You've been promising me for weeks. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> I'm cashing in promises. I'm cashing in promises that my mouth can't." <laughs> Can't back up, so yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was a morning. Cool. <laughs> well, so was he pestering uh, old Johnny Lark's mama? No, he stayed over Calvin's house. Oh, cool, awesome. Yeah, they uh, they had a good old time. They stayed till 
11.30. I said, Nolan, you know what? You stay up later than dad. Damn right. We were over at my in-law's house last night, and they said, what are you going to do since you don't have the kid? Going to sleep. (laughs) What do you think we're going to do? And I said, oh, Pam, earmuffs. I'll tell you what we're trying to do. (laughs) I'm going to put my CPAP machine on. She's going to gag me with it. (laughs) Chris, that's for you. (laughs) (laughs) She's going to wrap it around. She's going to wrap the cord around my throat for a little bit. (laughs) That's a new move. I might have her try that. Hey man, I, I've been I've been thinking of these things, man. What do you what do you do? What do you think I think of when I'm sitting around by myself hold, on the couch half naked? Hold cord right when he goes to take a breath, let it go. <laughs> <laughs> Those machines are great creations. <laughs> oh Jesus H Christ! How much time do we have to banter till a uh, fucking? We got half an hour. We gotta talk to we, the man. We can do this for half an hour. Oh, all right, I'm bullshitting our stories. I love that thing. Yeah, man, that fly looks good. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Bob Popovic. Oh yeah. So I, I'm gonna message Bob. I'm like, hey, is there anything important to talk about? Can we talk about something important instead of banter, or you want to just keep going crazy? Uh, we do have a guest next week coming on. He's just a dude. He wait. It's, next week? Yeah. Wait. It would be December twenty seventh. The. Oh, yeah, okay, be after. Hi, uh, hi Jay. I'm sorry. Welcome back to Earth. It's Sunday. We do podcasts like every Sunday. Next yeah, week yeah, yeah, is yeah, a yeah. Sunday. Yeah, it, it's, but it's right after Christmas. Okay. Yeah, Christmas yeah, yeah, is yeah, Friday. Yeah, yeah. You really gotcha. lost him there. <laughs> well, Christmas is Friday. We're going to, if you don't want to, it's fine. I'm just saying. Uh, no. But we have a guest coming on. He was a, uh, bu- 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 he worked on a cruise line. Excuse me. So it was like the love boat. You know, remember that old show from the 70s? Mm-hmm. So he would go around all these places that cruise liners would go and get to fish in different places. And he said he has a ton of different stories to to talk about. Um, I can't wait. Does to he have that. a name? Uh, yeah, I'm looking it up as we speak. I think it's Tom Fleming. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, would just, I, I figured you had it. I'm sorry. I figured you had it on. Like, it, you, sorry, you, figured you, had it on you know. Seconds. Yeah, sorry about that. And uh, yeah. so his name is Tom Fleming, <laughs> and I was just really scared to say Tom Fleming because that's the name of the guy that owns the business that I work at. So I, it, it was like a kind of a coincidence, you know, but yeah, he, and he was just in the UK fishing and tons of stories. So he seems cool, fun. Seems like he'll be some good different dude, stuff. Good dude to talk to. Fishy people are fun to talk to and hearing different perspectives on seeing different kinds of things. is so much fun to get to, you know, cause we don't get to all go and do that kind of stuff all the time. So it's or fun barely to get to ever. Live. Yeah, it's fun to get to live it through somebody else a little bit. I'm not putting you on the spot by asking this question. I'm asking it because Cause of, you're uh, of, of last time when you didn't tell me about it. Are you doing Tail Saturday? So I do got to work, but I can come over after work. Uh, or we'll if you decide not to, it either or. That was that was this week. Um, yeah, do we want to hit on dying night? We can. Yeah. It was just you but and me. Back to our question. Um, Jay in the corner here. I'm not sure. Uh but we'll see how Christmas goes. You know what I mean? Well, I'll let you know. Uh, it don't matter either way. If you decide to, I'll be here. If not, no biggie. Let, let's skip this week. We'll get back at it after. We'll get back at it after the holiday. So, yeah, tying night. Did you just shove these tails up you guys' asses, right? When you're done with them? Yes. As a matter of fact, we do. 
Okay. I just you, wondered. You know what it looks like when you're running around with just a half a deer tail sticking out your beehole? <laughs> sounds like. <laughs> oh, are you going to clear the room like Chad did last week? I can no. barely fucking sit here. That you, was bad. Dude. You can't make that noise with half a deer tail sticking up your butthole. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look who it is. It's more, hey, this guy has like 18 deer tails sticking out of his asshole. <laughs> Fuck. They're all sticking out of my nose. <laughs> He finally comes to fucking podcast. Oh, I missed you guys. I fucking missed you guys so much. I was going to show up mm. on time, but then the deer came. <laughs> and I'm sorry for that. I can't change when and where it happens. You just had to lay him down. <laughs> yeah, nah, man. You create yourself work. But I was out hunting with like a group of guys, and I fucking blew it on a, like, a gimme. Not standing, but moving. Close shot. Should have smacked the dough and been done, but... You know, had to go home because those guys created too much work for themselves, just as I did. Don't do it. Don't don't squeeze that trigger too far back. Don't you're you're not twelve again. <laughs> Your back will hurt tomorrow, dude. When you here's what here's the scenario. You know, busted our asses yesterday. Shot a deer. You know, everybody got shoot. Knew it was pretty cool. You know, got to hunt around the house, which I don't usually. Let the, the Proud Boys come out and kill them all. I'm like, all right, I guess. Let's do it. We'll push it. And the cops might be involved. But just tell them you're with Jay Shank, and I'll deal with the consequences. I ain't, I'm not used to, or I'm used to having these problems, you know? So we grouped up and hunted yesterday. It was a two-day shotgun or rifle or whatever you want to do season in Ohio. And first off the get-go, I think this might be somebody Chad knows, got his son down in the woods archery hunting where the first spot we kind of picked to set up on oh i think i know who you mean the fucking we asked the guy like the guy's like my son's down in there i'm like where at he's like oh by this spot i was like okay uh we'll just move through we'll not try to bother him too much and it, it my other buddy's like because he got kids he's like does he have orange on and the guy's like no it's Ooh. gun season dude i mean you don't, you don't ever, I love archery, and believe me, I was out hard last week, the, the days before, but you don't play around in gun season. In fact, the orange hat isn't required, but depending on what you're doing, I, I suggest it. You know what I mean? But, uh, so this guy, he was kind of sitting in, in the prime area, which I've told people to the grapevine, like, I don't care who you are or how many DVDs you watched of Big Bucks being killed. If you walk into that spot, you ruin it for all of us. So it was kind of shitty, dismal. Would have been dear if that wouldn't happen. So moved around, hit some local, you know, in-town spots, shooting at the, the urban deer, and didn't come up, come up empty. After a hard day of walking and all that, tried around my area, which is right against state line. I'm hunting right along Shenango River, even though I'm in Ohio, but... We moved off to a little bit west, hunting out, out toward Warren, 20 minutes in into Ohio. So tried some different area, had a buck going, man, and, and a guy I mushroom hunt. I wouldn't say he's green, but he ain't red. <laughs> okay. Like you gotta you gotta flick that off safety. He said he had the gun off safety, so that's a start. You know what I mean? He's a I wouldn't say a little slower or or you know, anything like that. He, he He's the kind of guy that lets things play out, you know what I mean? And, and that's a good thing. And uh, Everybody being trigger happy is not a safe thing. So he didn't squeeze on this buck, and nobody else did either. Like, went by probably four people. We were pushing a good area, and 
Nobody shot, so. Uneventful day as in no deer. We had fun. Uh, like always. No deer is in you laying down. Yeah. You saw they, them. Yeah, they were there. Uh, we had snow. It was the perfect storm. You know what I mean? It's the things that our dreams are made of because a few years ago, I woke up on this day and went out and just started laying them down left and right and ended up with a big buck, the like biggest buck I ever had. So fresh snow and stuff like that is, you know, you, you don't always get that in first week of buck or in Ohio, you may never even get a day of snow, so... It's awesome to hunt in the snow, and it was two or three days previous we had the snow, so there was just tracks everywhere. Kind of makes it hard too, you know what I mean? It's like you got it all figured out, and but you really don't. So we busted ass, didn't get none today. Go out with the same group of guys. We're hunting, I don't know, Lordstown area, which is like near GM. I mean, we're on the Ohio Turnpike. We're right up against you know big highways, and and I know what highways yield. All the deer you want, man. That's where they live. They travel on them, too. Yeah, I mean, they get hit on them. They're next to them. That, where do you think deer are always at? Right next to the road. I don't care what road it is. Dirt road, side road, back road, highway. After they've been shot at for so long, they got to uh, go somewhere where there aren't a lot of guys pushing them around. Listen, you want to hear the craziest thing, though? You walk beat. I am pull, I pull into, like, if it had, it could have had a gate in front of it. it that's what kind of community this was. We go back, and dude, it, there's just houses everywhere where we walk in, and I'm like, oh, my God. And the woods is logged out. I'm like, don't just. That's like where I hunt in Hermitage. Do not break World War Three open. It's like houses are fucking everywhere. You're going to shoot well, one one way listen, toward the woods. You know what's crazy <laughs> so, is, like, is where you say Hermitage, the, everything's almost Hermitage around here. A lot of the areas I hunt, and in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. there's supposed to be a shotgun limitation there's but you the, it, uh i'm I pretty sure that the state law rules overall so you're allowed to use a rifle wherever the hell you oh, want okay well no i see i've never had issues i've been checked i've i've i never yeah, have I, either and i've well, been hunting I've, there my whole life i've, or, I've been both, checked, my whole life before i've been checked like off a of clay furnace down by mm-hmm. you know yeah. where you shoot and and whatnot and they never never even looked at a gun you know, no. how you doing? You know, let me see that license. Sweet, have a good day. I'm like, oh, these are rifles in Hermitage, you know, in, in city. Yeah. But I don't think that's even a, a thing they deal with. I, I don't know. The actual um, law enforcement there is the one that has to enforce it. The so the police. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because that's I hunted where you did, and I got stopped. Now, granted, I never did use, um, I always used uh, muzzle loaders in there. We used inlines. Yeah. And uh, uh, with state police did stop one day on the opposite side, <clears throat> over back by where the school is now. Mm-hmm. We were coming in from that side. And he pulled up and he said, "You have, you know, what are you using? Check them." And hmm. yeah, but it was the police though. Oh, I was crazy. using a, a thirty thirty. That's hey, basically bud. a shotgun anyway, no. right? It's a game uh, commissioner. It, it, real real simple. <laughs> Listen, in Ohio, it's getting to be right there to be a similar thing because they're. Ballistics, ballistics evidence, a thirty thirty is equivalent to a forty five seventy, you know what I mean? There's no there's no like a twenty two could go a mile. There there's none of that in the in the lower calibers, you know what I mean? So a lot of guys out there hunting with forty five seventies, a group mm-hmm. of guys I yeah. was with, they had sweet guns. A lot of guys hunting with open sights still, man. One that of the kids a- at work, he just bought one of the like the there's like a certain rifle you have to have in straight Ohio. For Ohio. Straight, yeah. straight wall. Straight wall. So, yeah, he just bought one. 
it's it's a variety of calibers. In fact, mm-hmm. you could buy you could build your own gun. I seen a dude with a three fifty that is supposed to be the the coolest gun out. We'll just say that. I don't know about the best because we got aught six out there. You know what I mean? Oh jeez. But this guy had like a more or less looked like a subcompact type mini fourteen. You know, like a tactical gun. It was dope. It was light. I'm like, let me hold that, dude. It was like three pounds, 350. This thing was sweet. He's like, oh, yeah, I went and bought the upper. I went and did this and that. And I'm like, damn, man. Yeah, you All are for so hard-pressed for like for art, for PA, to beat a 270. Oh, oh 270, lay them down, dude. The or a 243 or like those. Ain't bad those bullet, I mean. but look, 150 now with look. a 270, that gun will shoot flat out to 250. You you might you lose said the you said the key word inch. you said the key word flat okay now if you're a guy who might have rifles available to hunt in your state and you never know what you're gonna do go out that's, west that yep. two seven that's doubles like them are mm-hmm. great that's guns. a muley uh, gun oh, yes. that's a great antelope yeah. gun dude I, yeah. I always thought three oh eight's a good gun too oh yeah oh yeah that's sniper that's what my rifle, dad dude. that's what my dad shoots yeah, I, I always like that thought gun. I always great. thought them yeah. two calibers I always thought ah, them are weak them are this that. My uncle dumps deer with them, like, and there's no hole. There's, like, literally no hole, like, the tiniest hole. I'm like, wow, dude, that's insane that you you could, it doesn't really hurt the deer. The craziest <laughs> thing is you just shot this deer perfect, and he doesn't even feel it. Dude, gun, gun. Oh, he feels it. How do you know he doesn't feel it? <laughs> <laughs> you ever he, been shot? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I didn't feel that. The thing is, is. How do they act so natural after being shot like that? Really? You would think you would, you know, like when a guy gets shot in a movie, he's dragging his leg and limping and shit. You know what I mean? Like, not a deer, dude. Well, because he can't stick his middle finger up and be like, "Hey, fuck you, what dude! What <laughs> did you yeah. do that for?" Yeah, no, man, it was it was awesome. It was awesome scenario though, because, like I said, man, we're in Ohio. You got lesser guns, so you feel like you need to really send the lead. And that's fun, man. When people are shooting deer move. 12-gauge slugs <laughs> just no, flying I'm, through the woods. Yes. I'm going to... But, but, but now <laughs> also... balls of lead. <laughs> listen, now also 40 caliber <laughs> shit sending everywhere. But... Oh, Jesus. The thing is, dude, it, it, it's a whole different culture in Ohio than it is PA. And I didn't, I didn't really see it until I met these guys that hunt PA and they're... I want to open sight. I'm like, what kind of scope is that? I'm laughing at guys. You know what I mean? Giving them the, the punch in the stomach. Like, yeah, you're hey, you, you missed uh, uh, what kind of scope you got on that gun. <laughs> and it's open sight and shit. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck? Well, dude? open sights are awesome. I, I can't yeah, do with an open fucking, sight. Some fucking guy called me skinny, so I had to jab back. And I was like, that's a nice scope. What what scope is that? And he had open sight with it. Like, dude. People in Ohio have a scope mount and no scope. They do not give a fuck, okay? It is insane. But the coolest thing, I had this little hunting party, and these guys are all legit, and they are about that life. They die hard for this shit. There was a little fucking six-year-old kid out there, like, stomping shit. He was, you know, I mean, his pants were heavy like ours. He was still going, and I I see why they brought him. You know what I mean? Because this shit ain't given. You can't just go out there and be like, I like this. I like too much work. I fucking hate it. Dude, I got my ass kicked for two days, okay? 
So I called the guy, like they were, they shot all these deer. Deer are down. We did drives. <clears throat> deer were fucking laying there. We just left them. This is some real Ohio shit, dude. I'm not joking. This is real what Ohio shit. <laughs> this this is different. This is different. It ain't. You can't just. I don't know. You you can't stomp, brush, and stop. If you're doing it, you're doing it. Leave that deer lay. Let's keep it moving. We'll be back. We had huge acres on. You know what I mean? Prime area. We're. I think we did a mile push. Have you ever heard such of a thing? No. And I've but, only done it in these areas. Like, people cut woodlots down. In gated communities. Yeah. People cut these whole woodlots down, and it really spreads the deer out. They're there, but there's nothing else there. It, they're not going to leave their areas and shit. We did this mile push. Deer flanging everywhere. People boom, 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 boom. Buddy of mine shot two. Another kid shot three. Another guy got one. Dude, hit a buck. Like, these deer are flinging everywhere. I seen deer. I didn't get no cracks. I'm like... All right, well, tell me where the next bush is, and I'll, I'll wait till you guys get your little shit together, and we'll do that. Deer came running up on me, some old guy flings. I know old guys could shoot, and this guy, he shot a long ways and winged a deer. Like, it was it was hobbling down toward me a little bit, but it was small, and I was like, I'm not shooting that one. That's too small. I'm going to put my tag <laughs> on that thing. No, hell no. I mean, there was a bigger one, so I squeezed at it, and I have no clue how I missed it. Like, 20 yards moving at a clip, you know, but... Have you been taking shooting lessons from Jay? Hey, I, hey, 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 hey. No, Jason only hits the the gimmies. Or, or no, no. Jason only hits when he don't aim. Yeah, when I <laughs> shut my eyes and just <laughs> pull the trigger and hope something happens. Yeah, that's when that's when deer fall around me. Yeah. When I when one walks up and gives me the perfect shot and like sits there you just and blow like it. it's like licking a tree. But I mean, broadside. No, then I. This fuck is up, how yes. this happened for you, though, right? You threw the scope up in front of the deer and. It went in there and you squeezed, right? That that was the scenario. Oh no, the one I you shot, the, completely... the buck. No, it, I tracked. I watched. I watched it in the and scope get bigger and bigger and bigger and, and bigger and pounded, bigger right? and bigger. And then, it, you know, at some point, it just its whole body took the whole scope up. And you popped. <laughs> and I just smashed I it. You know, smashed it. Yeah, no, yeah. it it was a it was one of them things where they were moving good. I had them in the scope. I shot three times. Clean misses. Clean misses, you know. I I mean, my shells only cost three dollars a shot. So, hey, Jace, this is a podcast. People don't need you you can say, Yeah, I shot once and missed it. Yeah, no, no, no. See, (laughs) the truth needs to be told. Yes, that is that is outside relevance because I am good, and that's the hardest thing to decipher. It's like when you trout set a musky. I trout set, I mean, fess up, exactly, get it out of the way. How do you? How do you explain to yourself that you whiffed? You hey, know what I mean? If it's, you're going to whiff, better to do it on a doe than a it, 150. Exactly. Yeah, true. Exactly. I told this kid yesterday. You would have still been sitting in the woods shaking right I now. I told this kid <laughs> yeah. yesterday. I said, uh, I said, I missed yesterday. I'm good. I, I think I got it out of my system. <laughs> yeah, <I hope. laughs> and, and he was like, I didn't get no deer yet. I'm like, fuck. I'm like, I'll push. And they ended up taking him on this drive and these deer come point blank it could have been him standing there and i i wish so much that it was because it wasn't i'm not hunting for that you know what i mean any why i wake up in the morning and go with these group of guys that just text me an address and i show up it's it's far beyond and it's bigger than that you know what i'm saying so sure that's what i took from hunting season this year oh shit dude was things that were bigger than just the shooting the deer it was hanging out with my my dad my brother-in-law my uncle my great uncle who 
I'm, who knows? Next year he might not even be here to go might hunting. Not, so. might, yeah, might not have more hunts. No, he or, might not. So and that was what was yeah. cool. I watched this little kid who who's bright. He's never hunted for himself, but I'm sure he's walked many days. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah, the, the cool thing is, is this is for everybody, and you can do it how you want. I walked till my legs hurt so bad. Oh, sure. I busted my ass, like, till I... You know, I'm falling asleep in the tree stand this evening after I leave these guys because I'm sure they're out there still working, dragging. They might still be there. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> we were way back. They have four-wheelers in groups. So I go by myself, jump in a stand where I've been seeing does. I've been seeing or, or deer moving, you know, in archery after work. I'm slipping in. I'm trying. This is the week. You know what I mean? It's cold. Deer are moving. I fucking get in this stand every day after work. <laughs> the same one. Deer coming in. I can't get a shot at them. Come on now. People are walking by with dogs on, like, you know, similar areas. I'm hunting small zones. So the deer are changing their, their course of action and not coming to me. Or but I'm like, what the hell? You know, I just want that shot. And I love Bo. I'd rather it happen like that. But I knew those deer were there. So um, I, I, I shuttered off better spots. I called and talked to a farmer. And I'm like, hey, I might come out and... Let me know what's up. And he said, oh, go ahead, whatever. And I'm like, ah, I just jumped in a tree stand by my house. I know it's legit. Look over. It's 425. I look at the clock. I'm like, I got to get to my buddies because this podcast is just as important as breathing. And, and fucking I look over. There's backs. So I stand up. Cramp. Oh, my leg hurts. Oh, oh no. You you know how you yell in your bed after yeah. a long day and you're fucking like, ah, fuck, fuck me. No, oh. I couldn't yell, Chad. I couldn't do shit. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking stood there with a, a hurting leg and watched these deer. <laughs> that's, when I, that's when I get cramps from fucking. I'm like, ah, my leg. Do you give up? <laughs> No, that, I'm, I'm well, on a mission. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but you you got it. You got you're you're you got something good. I have nothing good. Okay, we're, we're on a mission from God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so this motherfucker, I'm cramping up, legs shaking, legs buckling, and this deer jumps over this log, and I'm like, okay, that wasn't that wasn't a, a bird. This is a deer. I got backs over here. And there's a lane, and this is where I seen deer like two days ago in archery. And that deer's there on that lane. I yell, meh. Gives me the look. I'm like, man, that kind of looks horny. Pow! I sent one at him. They start running. One smaller, I could tell. I'd... It stops. So he gets shot at too. Pow! You know, shit's flying. It's happening right now. It's probably like 4.30. You can't take tags with you. No, you, you, them things don't even taste good. But anyway, <laughs> fucking, I pound this deer and it just flops. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, I hit that one apparently. So I kind of, uh, I'm assessing the situation. What, what just happened? And, and the other deer was in a similar area where that one dropped and just start taking off. I fling another one. I had three shells in there. Three shells are coming out of there. <laughs> Last I seen of that deer. So I go over there. I look. I'm like, all right, there's a deer. Dead. Sweet. I like that. Look over. There's blood. Mm, that's cool, too. That's not from the dead deer. Yeah. No, he <laughs> couldn't have made it this far. He stopped right there. So I'm like, <laughs> I like that. That's cool. No rush. Always, uh, you know, 
very much so assess the situation and maybe even talk to somebody who knows a little more because deer act so funny when they get hit. You can't tell how how good they're hit. You can't tell anything anymore. It seems like I I don't know. Ever since video came into play, that's taught us a lot and we know and it's just stupid to make a bad decision because you're in a rush. You know what I'm saying? Don't don't get over overconfident or anything. I always think it's a bad hit in worst case scenario, which you shouldn't, but you don't know and every person and every deer is different. This deer though where he ran, I know there's some area to him land for him to go, but it's all surrounded by creek. So a healthy deer will cross that no problem. A hurting deer ain't gonna try it. He swung to the right when the water came up. I knew that was key. I was like, all right, he's dead. Yeah. I'm gonna look and and go slow. Blood, blood. I look over by this bush, dead tree laying down. He couldn't go no more. You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, no, he's fucking there gargling and stuff. And I'm like, okay, no, that's not a bad thing. You know what I mean? It's it's the name of the game. He's not suffering, but he's trying to make it just as we are. Well, that deer, you know, I watched him and and I I don't mind. I'll sit there and watch him take their last breath. I'd rather save the bullet and things like that. You know, he stood up. So I'm like, ah, what the hell, dude? I popped his ass again and. Got you the heart, you know? I'm very appreciative of that. Told Nolan that's what we're eating for dinner. Yeah, no, I I actually mentioned it to him. I was like, are you partaking? He's like, yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. I am. I am skinny, dude. I did it. (laughs) Hey, hey, man, I want to tell you that, you know, even though hunting season is long and laborious and I haven't fished and it kind of burns me, that's my calling, dude. My passion is to be in the outdoors not in any sense, you know. When I'm fishing, I'm I'm going just as hard. It's a grind, mm-hmm. you know. I don't I I've backburned many of fucking things and people, and and it's just it's a tough decision. So at the end of the day, you know, I feel good and I I fucking love what I do, and it was fun, and I got to provide for a lot of people around me, and that's that's key for me. Absolutely, man. Hey, we will be right back with Mister Gunner Bramer and less stories. And we are back with Gunner Bramer. What has happened to my friend? It's been a long time since we've spoken. Long time. And just before we get started, let me say something. What's going on, everybody? Gunner here. Uh, and today, <laughs> we're going to blow your minds with streamer facts. These are non-arguable things. So They're not up for debate. Uh, just done. receive the information and immediately <laughs> apply it without question. Just absorb it. They're streamer facts, yeah. not streamer theories. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a load of BS, but take it how you will. <clears throat> so, Gunner, uh, there's some big news uh, floating around the YouTubes and the interwebs. Um, there's a new hook out. It's the Arex PR 378GB Predator Swimbait. Um, there's a, a certain couple letters in that hook name. What, what's that stand for? <clears throat> Uh, that would be my name. Okay, man. That would be the, the Gunner Bramer, the GB, Predator Swimbait Hook. Um, and that was that was basically A-Rex doing me a favor because originally, so this I, it must have been three and a half years ago because I don't remember. All this is pretty vague to me because it was uh, 
a lot of time in between steps. But this was a long time ago. And basically, I had these like 10 inch sluggos, or maybe they're finesse minnows. I had these 10 inch finesse minnows. And when you buy a pack, they send it to you with this big ADOT J hook. It's absolutely massive. And I would fish these things for pike on spin gear in Canada all the time growing up. And I loved it. And I was like, I want to be able to tie a fly on this. But the bend on a J is impossible to keel. There's no leverage for any of the wire weight or any weight that you add. The hook was like so unbelievably heavy. You couldn't really balance it unless it was just like a super crinkly wavy fly. And there was no way to actually tie anything on the shank. So I drew this hook where I basically combined all the pros and cons of everything I've ever tied on. So it's like, I know it needs to be offset so you can actually hook a fish. I know it has to have a long front shank so you can actually tie a fly on it. I know I want the Texas bend so it'll actually ride true. And basically I just sketched it. I dimensioned everything because I took a drafting class in high school. I kind of knew how to detail everything out and all the dimensions and I converted it to metric because A-Rex is in Denmark. And I just sent it to Morton. I was like, hey, I have this redonkulous idea. I only want it in a 5-aught and an 8-aught. Could you make this hook? And I crap you not. He was like, yeah, we could try. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? That was supposed to be a no, like a flat out, you're out of your mind. We're not going to make an dot ridiculous Texas hook for you to tie flies on. Um, and what was really unfortunate was that the original wire bending facility couldn't handle the large size because it's long, because you have to be able to tie a fly on it. And you have to have all that keel weight in the bend and set the hook point far enough back that it's actually in a proper place for a swim bait fly. Like you want it like almost halfway in the fly. You don't want that way up in the third of that hook rush. You're not going to hook anything for that style of hook. Because it's supposed to be a mid-body grab. They have to be able to compress materials and get the point in their mouth. Especially when you're not fishing for bucket mouths, but you're fishing for pike and muskies and socks. So... They kind of turned me down, but it wasn't their fault. And I gave up. Like, I thought this thing was well passed and done and gone. And it was, let's see, it must have been a year ago, maybe a year ago, about this time. He sends me an email. And he's like, all right, we got a new facility. They say we can do it. We're going to go ahead and go. Like, let's run through this and get this thing fine-tuned. And I was, <laughs> I was so dumbstruck because I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, this is actually going to happen. I had already given up on it. Had you forgotten about it by then? Well, I, I was still trying to make it work other ways. Um, so, like, I have, I met somebody when I fished in Brazil with Nomadic Waters. His name is Paul Brune. And Paul's, like, a legend in the industry. He's been around forever. He's a, a really old guy. And he basically, like, knows the history of fly fishing, you know, all that information that escapes my generation. And he was telling me that he needs a weedless finger mullet. That's what he needs. Cause he's in Florida. He needs like a four inch weedless finger mullet pattern. And what I would do is I would tie on like a two watt jig hook on a shank and I would open up that wire eye on the shank and then reclose it through the hook eye. And what was cool is off the back of the shank, I would take some suede like Pat Cohen's fly suede material mm -hmm. and I would stretch it over the, 
point and down the bend and lock it in place like a swim bait, like how you'd thread the rubber of a swim bait onto the hook. But that gets beat up and that, that material doesn't reheal itself like rubber does. And you can't use the same hole more than once or else it becomes enlarged and slippery. And so it's just like this failure of idea that I could grasp, but I couldn't actually achieve like success on. And so I kept doing that and I kept screwing around with it. And that's like, if you follow YouTube, you can see this idea. Like I, it must've been two years ago, I had that little shank extension that was fixed. And then like six months later, I had that shaking extension off a Texas hook that was flexible that I called the flexi hook or the flexible extension that used titanium. Yeah. Like I keep trying to bridge that, the gap of that Texas hook to make it accessible to people because there's no other way to tie it. But even those designs, they failed because that hook point was always in line. You could never hook anything. Even if you could get them to eat it, you could fish it in the heaviest cover. Even if you could tie the fly perfectly, you could never hook a fish. And so the coolest thing to me was I had to figure all that out the hard way. And so then when the hooks actually came about and Arex said, let's do this. And then you have Paul who's, who's doing basically the, the, having this whole process on his own accord with the mono rigs, all the tube extensions, uh, running his, his custom shank through the eye with the tube over it to fix it. And then he's got, um, the one where he uses titanium with a shank in the front to create a really stiff connection, basically elongating the tying shank of a Texas hook and bending all of them to get the right offset. And so we basically just combined ideas because I wanted the gap and basically the, the sketch that I had for proportions. I knew the proportions were locked in and basically we're looking to Paul like, how high does this offset need to be to consistently hook fish? How far back in the fly does it need to be to actually hook up on fish? Where does that point need to be? Because was... it's, it's critical to those proportions of what fly you tie on what hook so that the hook point is in the right place for each design. I was going to ask about the hook point, uh, and it's, it's bent toward the eye of the hook, or is it faced toward the back of the shank? So it has... When we went through all the sketch variations, um, we had to make, so the, the hook, the one thing about the hook is that the hook was never able to be sampled. We couldn't ever get samples to test anything because COVID hit and a lot of the manufacturing plants either got shut down or they got overwhelmed because of the, the crazy increase in the fishing industry. So everything we did design wise was purely conceptual and that is a hard thing to say because you don't, obviously you have, you want to have as much confidence in something as you can, but that's why we had to involve as many people as we could because we had to get it right the first time, basically solely from our intuition. Oh, and I and know so what... when you look at that hook point, one of the sketches, they had a really nice uh, stinger hook eye that was bent way down at, basically at the back of the shank to, to maximize that angle so that that hook penetration would be like a hundred percent. But the hard thing with that is the hook has to be sticky. Anytime you reduce that, that angle, anytime you tuck that point farther down and farther down and farther down, yeah, it's going to have better penetration because it's going to take 100% of that force and shove it right in that hook point. But it's also going to make it less sticky and less weedless and less likely to prick a fish. And the whole goal of that hook 
is to fish it in the heaviest cover you can think of, but still prick the fish. Cause that's the problem. I could take a Texas hook and I could tie just fine, but I can't hook anything on it. I have to be able to fish that cover and know that I'm still going to stick them. So we bent that hook point up slightly. So that's closer towards pointing like right at that hook eye. And you can see, I think it depends, but you can. Well, we're all holding we're, them in our hands. Yeah, we all have them in our hands so as you're speaking. <laughs> we're for me. we're looking. Jerky. <laughs> and so I think if you look at, and this might have been just a little manufacturing flaw, but I think the two-aught and the six-aught are nearly level. They're the stickiest. The four-aught has a slighter bend down towards the hook eye. That one's more of a stinger. And yeah. I think that might have just been a little hiccup there. Uh, we're holding a four well, out. Size yeah, wise, every, everything's out. different. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, no, they're sticky, sir. That's a six out there. No, like Gunner, one thing that I know we spoke on that it's kind of like a little bit of a concern, but I guess it's just gonna take time of fishing it to see too. Is with the how long of a hook this is and how high it is when it's vertical in a fish's mouth and they're so hard and they compress down on it, it's gonna push to the side. So like one yep. thing that you talked about on the video, which made a lot of sense, is to take the hook point and bend it offset so that when it does ride to the side, it's either going to be pointing up or it's going to be pointing down. Yeah. So this was something I learned from Larry Dahlberg. And he what? was doing a – Who? <laughs> the legend. <laughs> yeah. The man, wait, wait. the myth, and the legend. You, you mean the guy on ESPN? <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically the guy who invented all things fishing. So the that guy, guy – Yep. Um, he was talking about these uh, spinner rigs, these, these I forget, I don't know, like the typical bass one where the blades are offset above the actual skirted jig, mm -hmm. whatever that kind of spinner rig is called. And he's talking about how when you fish that rig for e-socks, the problem is, is those rigs, if you look at a bass rig, the wire goes straight into the lead jig. There's no, there's no split ring. There's no degrees of freedom. So on a pike, mm -hmm comes up and, and smashes that with his beak style ram feeding mouth, he's going to roll it. He's going to hit that massive wire shape and he's going to roll it flat and you're not going to hook him. So the way he would rig these is he would basically take the bass ones and throw them out and he'd tie his own jig and then he'd split ring the wire harness to the jig so that the jig wouldn't roll, but the wire frame could. That way your hook point stays intact and you have hookup. And so that simple idea of, hey, I know that when a pike T-bones this, that super wide gap is going to have a tendency to flip. When they, they crunch down, it's going to roll flat. Now, it still has that vertical offset, right? So even if it rolls flat, you still have that chance to stick them in the corner of the mouth. But when you then take that point and you offset it laterally, so you're talking in the vise, you'd offset it left or right towards you or away from you. As soon as they clamp down and pinch, now that hook point's like an octopus hook. It's either riding up or down depending on which direction it rolled. And all you're trying to do is just get that hook away from its own wire. You're just trying to get it out of the way so that it can contact that fish's lip anywhere inside that mouth. And there's kind of a nice pro and con to this um, because one of the things that happens a lot with hook down flies, especially with ESOX, is you gill hook them. And I absolutely hate when you get it like back in their tongue. I absolutely hate that because one, the tongue's bony. Two, it's impossible to freaking get out. And it does a lot of damage to the fish. And so you get these weird comments about guys with hook point up flies because they're terrified you're going to brain a trout with it or something like that. Sorry. But when it comes to, to e-socks, it's, it's 
complete the opposite concern and i'm trying not to gill hook that fish and the moment he pinches that thing flat you're almost guaranteed to stick him in the back of that lip on either side of his mouth so it's so, a pretty safe hook with that regard but so now with uh with tails are you running tails on any of these have you experimented uh that's a whole different story i've <laughs> <laughs> you think it'd be like well, a yes or no? I, I guess. Wait, it's not though. Be, before you get into that, let me ask you this question. To lead you into it because my question was going to be: Is with this hook, you're going to be able to get a couple different desired actions. So, what is your intentions of what are you looking to tie on this from like side to side to top to top? I mean, which will lead you into using the tails. Okay, so with e-socks, I'm obviously learning a lot. I'm I'm, I'm not. You know, your resident ESOX expert. I'm basically a river rat for smallmouth who loves musky more than smallmouth, but does not chase musky more than smallmouth. I don't know why. And this year, if you watched my musky little highlight reel, you saw that I started building some bucktails. Yeah. And when I started building my own inline spinners, it changed immediately the way that I tie my musky flies because of my conditions. And so like your desired action for this fly, in my opinion, should be 100% tailored to your watershed. Because I think, you know, everybody talks about water push or showing profile and side to side movement and trying to trigger that eat and belly wobble and whatnot. And the thing that stuck with me the most was just vibration. I mean, literally my water clarity is so piss poor. Okay. So the, the I caught I caught a fish out of some weeds and that fish he actually was there earlier like 30 minutes earlier and I whipped this bucktail it's all black bucktail with a black blade it's got like copper flash in it and a clear body of water you'd be able to see that thing 50 feet away in stained water maybe 10 feet away especially if you got like four foot of visibility I had this fly I had to reel it in until I hit my barrel swivel and I had it a foot outside my rod tip and I couldn't see the dang thing. And I go into the figure eight and then I see this just pale green flash. And I'm like, holy piss, there's a musky behind it. <laughs> I, my water, especially in that lake, is so dark. I, it's literally like a foot in the heat of summer. You can't see Jack. And the problem is, is I'm trying to fly fish these lakes. I'm trying to still water fly fish a lake with one to two foot of visibility. And honestly, it makes me want to cry a little bit because <laughs> I, I, can't, I don't know where anything is. I don't, I, you, everything is just hopeless blind casting. It, it's hard for confidence, for sure. It's <laughs> yes. And you so, got to really rely on electronics on a lot of that. I don't have any. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? There's a good place I to have start. Zero electronics in my boat. <laughs> yeah. They, so, they want to start with that. But like, okay, but like I have contour maps and I can see, I can see all the points, all the structures. I know all the classic kind of musky spots where they should be holding and you can go and you just find, you just work the high percentage areas with a bait that can cover water. Cause I, I was still able to move almost a fish every trip, even fly fishing. I probably got four or five follows this year. I just screwed them up cause you can't see anything. I can't, I can't see how he's reacting to my lure or behaving to it. Or if he's still following it, I'm clueless. So, so what's vibration in the fly game? And so if you see all the, 
new swim bait patterns, every single one of them has a rattle. Mm -hmm. I got super heavy into the concept of rattles and I haven't been posting any wiggle tails, but basically ever since I caught two fish on spinners, every fly I tie had a wiggle tail for the rest of the season. Do you ever think and, there, do you think there's a time and a place for a fly without a rattle? Like in heavily pressured lakes and stuff where they're used to seeing blade baits and feeling all the vibration from uh, jerk baits and stuff. Flies without rattles, they're, they're changed, changed up just enough, you know? But they need to be visual. But man. you have to know where those fish are. Okay. No, that, that's... You, ha you have to have a confidence spot. You have to say, oh, this is his home range. I moved him here a week ago. I know where he is. He's in that log jam. He's in that weed bed. He's on that point. And so my struggle, that's why I said it has to be tailored to your fishery. Exactly. Like I said, that was a question. That's when I look down at my feet and go, yep, there he is, right underneath us. <laughs> <laughs> because that's my struggle. My struggle is I have to have them find the flock. And that sucks really bad. So, it really does suck. But that's that, that's all of my fisheries. I fished, I learned four new lakes this year, and they're all actually connected to the same river system. And they're all three to two to one foot of is. And then the St. Louis, which is my, it's right outside my house. It's two miles away from my door. Are the rivers equally as dirty? Yeah. Well, the rivers are worse because they have the tannic stained plus runoff sediment and particles and that whole springtime and rain and it's all discharged from a dam it's basically mud soup like you can't and that's normal that's just all the time uh, this year what's probably the biggest drought i've ever had in duluth since i lived here it's been like five years now and it probably didn't rain for two months and the st louis and the estuary had maybe a foot and a half of visibility hmm. at most Unless you could find a perfectly dead calm pool with light hitting it at the right angle with polarized glasses, maybe you could see two and a half feet. And that's like with no surface disturbance. So it's just like a crapshoot. <laughs> the whole situation. So hold on. Outside of, uh, I guess, the wave tails or, or whatever you're running there, has a paddle tail come into any play for you? Like like the new Cohen paddle tails? Yes, sir. I so I had uh this must have been two years ago, I had a pattern called the mic drop. And that ran a Mark Pettijon Magic Head on basically a game changer platform with the Magic Head at the tail of the platform to work like that. And I've swung that for smallmouth and trout before. But uh, every time I tried to supersize that for pike and muskie, it's failed. And basically I just rely on simpler means i haven't tried the new cohen tails yet so i can't say either way gotcha that's a dude even in even for me i i'm new to the paddle tail but it the thump that's that's a thump and i mean rattles and all this everything plays a game but as i watch fish ice fishing through you know shit you don't got electronics I just I, I just see that there's effect. You know what I mean? Everything has oh, yeah. that effect, like all the way down to casting for crappie in the spring and shit like that. It's it, it's just a wild wild thing, you know. And and uh, to build off of that, Gunner, <clears throat> there are three different sizes of this hook: the new uh, PR three seventy eight. Um, and on your YouTube videos, you go through multiple different ways to rig it. How many uh? 
How many different ways do you have the rig that the, you can think of right off? <clears throat> well, I think first off, you don't have to do anything to it. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the nice thing. It's got a nice long shank that you can do anything you want with. Um, now, as you get into the bigger sizes, you start to get into balancing issues. And I think it depends a lot on how you tie it and how buoyant your head is and where your resistance is. And if you added keel weight up at the nose. So it gets, it gets, I don't want to say complicated, but nuanced. And I think that's a good thing as a tire because it gives you a lot of control. It gives you a lot of uh, space to problem solve. A lot of room to work, basically. Yeah, but you, yeah. you have to be aware of it and you have to be observant. Because a lot of people, they tie flies and they don't work right and then they get discouraged instead of rising to the challenge and enjoying that learning process. And so you have that simple bare bones option. And then I like to balance the two aught and the four aught with just an extended body. And you can do it any way you want. But what I really like to do is I like that extended body to be stiff. So I'll use like a mono straight, basically a, a thick piece of mono that has no memory. And you want that mono to connect to that extended body, which is usually a shank, uh, so that the mono can apply leverage to the hook. Because if you make that a loop, then there's no leverage added. And if you use thin mono, then it's not stiff enough. And basically, as you dress that extended body, the water resistance on those materials creates lift, and that lift bends the mono, and that mono transfers the energy to the nose of the hook, and it balances out the right of the hook so it doesn't sag in the rear, which is really cool. And the simple thing about that is that's scalable. So you can do that at the four with two strands of stiff mono or one strand of a stiffer mono, and same with the six-up. So all that's custom one. Because we have so many shank manufacturers, it's really accessible to find a shank that fills the gap of each of those hooks. So you're not screwing around trying to guess or gauge. You just find a 20 millimeter shank, a 35 millimeter shank, put it up there, be like, perfect. Tie some mono off the nose of that thing, dress it on the hook. And the coolest thing is you can do any fly pattern that way. Any single hook fly pattern you've ever seen in your life can be adapted to that swim bait hook because you can extend the body. So now, and then what's cool? Sorry, I always talk. I talk forever. Man. That's you fucking guys... great, dude. I just wanted to ask. <laughs> this is an audio show. So <laughs> now, now with uh, with with getting that belly wobble, what what kind of how's this being weighted? So I, when you extend the body and you tie off the nose of that hook, so that the whole dressing is in line. So you're not talking about dressing the actual wider of the hook because that's it's going to change how the water tension controls the keel. When you dress everything in line with that hook eye, that massive Texas bend, because it's not a J-hook bend, it's a Texas bend, that's all keel weight. So you can basically tie any scale fly you can think of, and it will ride true because of the enormous drop-down water weight below all those materials. And so nearly all mine are weightless. And if you add weight... The simple thing to do is to nose weight it, whether that's uh, you can get a lot of tube style cone heads over all the bends so that it fits up in the front, lead eyes. You can put a uh, keel weight like 10 turns of 030 right on the 45. And all that goes not only to keeling, but head weighting the pattern for balance as well. But technically, if you dress it inline, nothing needs to be done to get it to ride true. Except fissure with a sinking line, right? <laughs> Well, 
variables. I'd still, I'd still argue no because of the water tension of the materials, but it depends on how you dress it. Okay. And so, like, something I learned, I posted a video on Friday. It's called the bucktail swing. And it's just a little four-inch bucktail fly, and it has no weight in it whatsoever, and it's a stinger hook, and the stinger hook's turned up. And I can control the whole orientation and keel that fly simply with water tension. And I can get it to ride true no matter how crazy the current is simply from water tension. And so when you take basically the right wing lengths and densities and stack angles, you can make any hook ride true or invert it or tie it with stabilizer wings. Like you look at Popovic's Jiggy Fly or Clousers. I think everybody who gets into tying thinks Clousers ride upside down because of lead eyes, but that's not true at all. The lead eyes don't do anything. The lead eyes are just weight. <laughs> it's the stabilizer wing tied in at the nose of the fly that inverts it. And that's why it pays to tie in a longer shank because it gives the wing more leverage. And so you have all these, it's just tying tools, these little tips and tricks of understanding how that tension affects the ride of the fly. You could tie a Buford fishing on a single line and put one SF blend stabilizer wing right before you tie your head and it'll ride perfectly true, no matter what you do to it. Hmm. Thank you. I'm sorry. That, <laughs> boom. Everybody's head just exploded well, at the well, table. Well, I mean, like, now you look at a dancer, flip the hook over, what, what would be the difference? You know what I mean? Like a, like, a, like a simple old, old flight. You see what I'm saying? Like, you're right, dude. There's no doubt about it. And so that was, it was... It was, I remember I was reading Bob Popovic's pop flies. This is when this whole thing happened. And he showed me the jiggy, the jiggy's in the book. And it's just, it's got two stabilizer wings and a cone head on it. And I'm like, wait a minute. What about the lead eyes? <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. You're telling me that these little wings just flip everything over. And I tied one up and I put it in my tank. And I was like, I just pooped my pants. Like there goes everything <laughs> I thought I knew. Exactly. Like just gone. And I hate this is what I don't understand about our industry. I don't understand why that information is not out there or, or preached or accessible or taught. It's like, it's like an industry secret that everybody who's ever tied a boneflesh fly apparently knows or doesn't know, but they do it anyway. Like they're all inverted. And sometimes the bead chain's on the wrong side of the dang hook, but it's the stabilizer wing. But not a single person's like, hey, this wing is what flips the hook over. I'm like, dude. This is your job. Your job is to tell people this information so that they can apply it to their own flies. Okay? So now you're preaching it. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Preach it, brother. <laughs> which is what happened with uh, Mark Sadati's weight balance this year. Yeah. And I think my favorite thing about that is I was the biggest skeptic you can imagine because I watched – I saw his uh, Yak Slammer video – I don't know, five years ago, four years ago, the, like when it was posted. There's nothing new about it, you know? <laughs> no, he did this back in the 1990s. Yeah. And um, for everybody listening. Was that before you, Gunner? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was literally the year I was born, but I was born on the last day of that year. So technically, but we don't have to get into my age because a lot of people will stop listening to me. <laughs> Okay, we won't go any further into that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, what the technique is, is in its simplest form, you weight a fly, 
relative. This is what this is what trips everybody up. I don't know why. Relative to its air resistance. If it if you if you ignore the second part, the first part has no meaning. You have to weight it relative to its resistance. And so let me explain this because I think it's the coolest thing ever. Let's say you have a big beefy fly and it sucks to cast on a six weight. What do you do? You move up to an eight weight. You increase the weight of the fly line, which increases the momentum of the fly line so it can throw it farther. Literally, the fly has less effect on the fly line because you got more momentum. It takes longer to act on it. The impulse is less. Now, what if somebody just thought, apparently Mark Sadati thought it, what if he just thought, well, what if I just give more momentum to the fly? And then it can slow down at the same rate as the fly line. And then it can fly with the fly line instead of the fly line pulling it. And then the fly line is simply a system to load the rod. And it's no longer responsible for the aerodynamics and propulsion of the fly moving forward. Boom. You're like, what? Wait a minute. You can do what? <laughs> Are you telling me that I can weight that fly and it'll cast better? Because no one has ever said that to me in my life. Every single person has said light flies cast better. Now, what people are actually saying, because this is the, the issue with English, <clears throat> is they're saying sparse flies, sparse flies fly better. Because sparse flies have less bulk, they collapse in the air, they have less resistance. So that weight of the hook and the dry weight of those materials, they help it cast better. But as soon as you start to overdress it and it becomes bulky, it's not casting bad because it's overdressed. It's casting bad because it's overdressed and you don't have weight on it. If you added the weight to an overdressed fly, it would be weighted relative to its resistance and it would cast just as well as a sparsely tied fly. So if someone takes a Buford musky fly and it's super overdressed and really hard to cast and they put some lead wraps on the bottom of it, is that going to affect that? Is it going to It'll help make them? it cast better. The problem with Bufords is that they have a blunt head. Yes. And so that's a hard thing to design around because that disturbs a lot of air. That, that's now what, you can get why I use it, it cast, for an example. <laughs> yeah, well, you gave me a hard problem here. <laughs> I like so you can talk about. I think I don't think if you talk to Sadati about it, he would. I think obviously have a lot more experience than I do. I've only been playing with this for a year, but I think he'd tell you that it would be able to overcome it no matter what you do. Now, going back to the fact that I built some bucktails this year. Uh, bucktails are always built with steel blades, metal blades. And when you put that blade on a clevis, it lays down flat. It has little resistance in the air whatsoever. And air isn't dense enough to cause the, the force needed to spin it, right? As soon as it hits the water and you pull water tension on that, against it, then it's the cupping and the aerodynamics of the, the, the lips that cause it to spin. And I, I tied a musky bucktail that was inline and I rigged it with a trolling blade and it's a blade called a, a flashlight and it's made out of nylon. It's really thin and it's balanced. So the blade is, is uh, symmetrical. It's not, a, it's not on one side, it's not on a clevis. It runs inline and it, it has obviously leaflets on either side. Now the problem with this is I thought to myself, I could weight balance that and cast it. And what was interesting is I could, uh, but I had to put so much weight. It was basically like a, a eighth ounce piece of lead on there for me to cast it about 80 feet. And it was really hard on my wrist. 
and I was like, why not just tie it as a bucktail? Like as like literally from my bait caster. Mm-hmm. So I took that same blade, rigged it with a one ounce chunk of lead, and I could pitch it about a hundred feet. So in theory, you can balance that the wind resistance of that blade. What this is a ridiculous example, just so we're clear. Yeah, I'm literally talking about throwing a plane propeller in front of a fly. <laughs> but are we the Wright brothers? If you, if you could. <laughs> If you could put a one ounce weight in front of your, you know, fly and cast it, obviously I could cast that a hundred feet on my fly rod, but that you can't do that. And so I see weight balancing as a solution to improve casting, but you can only do so much depending on the wind resistance of a fly. So if you look at like a yak slammer, it's a Bob Popovich 3D fly scaled up to about 12 inches, but the ice and the way it's stacked, it's very fusiform. It's, it's basically like a salmonid or basically any bait fish that's designed not to die. And so it's very castable and very aerodynamic. What makes it uncastable is its length and the crinkle of the fiber. And so it doesn't have that big, brunt, flat face because that is going to be immediately hard to overcome. Now, you can add weight and it'll make it cast better. But I'm not saying it's going to be perfectly balanced because that's an extreme end of the spectrum to apply it. I think they should be weighted. Now, this is also one of those things where I have a different opinion because the weight changes the action. And so you have to balance that. Of Should you have Bufords that are as balanced as they can that you can cast 100 feet? And should you have some that are weightless? Because the answer is obviously yes, because they're going to behave differently and you need them for different situations. What those situations are depends on you, not me, you. And so I'm not going to instruct you on what to do because that's none of my business. But you have to understand it's a tool because I was skeptical. When I saw that video, the first thing I did is I tied a slammer weightless. That was the first thing I did. I was like, BS, I'm not doing that. I yeah. tied it weightless and it sucked to cast. I couldn't cast it at all. This guy was high on the Jersey Shore. You know, what's he thinking, <laughs> right? <laughs> so when. <laughs> When, when you're like, adding significant amounts of weight or multiple pieces, what are some of the methods or what's your favorite way to add multiple layers of wire? Uh, so I'll do you one better. I bought a grain scale. And so it can measure down to one hundredth of a gram. Very familiar. And so what I did <laughs> is I'll take <clears> – <throat> I'm going to ignore that. I'll take <laughs> what I, so the way I like to do this is you just take a shank, you loop it through the, the hook eye of the fly and you start casting it and you add lead to that shank. And what you're going to see is as you add lead, it's going to start to cast better and better and better until it starts to cast worse and worse and worse because it's going to become too heavy. And you take that point where it casted most efficiently, false casted most efficiently. And I'll take all that lead and I'll weigh it. And I'll be like, okay, so this was a 12-inch slammer. I had 24 inches of 030. That weighs, uh, I don't know, about three grams, three and a half grams. And then what I can do is I can then take three sixteenth-inch lead solder wire or eighth-inch lead solder wire, or I can take cone heads or lead eyes or rattles, and I will weigh each of my individual components out until it adds up to what I want. So then I'm using my componentry. Like I can, I can weight balance it with cone heads or I can use two lead eyes or I can use the keel box idea from Sadati or I can weight balance a tube or I can change 
the 6.TP610 to a 6 out saltwater hook. And now I know the gram difference between my hooks and I can scale back my lead without having to cast a new flock. I can do it all with a grain scale in Microsoft Excel and just keep a log of how much these individual components weigh. So, hey, Gunner, this may sound stupid, but when you were tying commercial, would that have been an effective way to, or would have been practical if you were doing this then? to weight flies? I mean, That's a tricky thing because people aren't used to casting them and they do cast a little bit different. You have to have, well, I, I don't know if I should give casting advice on the phone, but <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> this is opinions. And, we can't do it in real life. Don't worry. <laughs> and my casting gets better every, I'm not an expert caster, but I don't, I don't suck. And it's one of those things where, uh, weight balancing flies made me a better caster because the heavy flies fly true and they fly at the speed of your fly line. And so you have to be connected. You have to be very smooth. You have to reduce your angles. You have to have very smooth and intentional transitions. You can't just be a sloppy whip it back and forth caster because if you, if you, oh, what's that called? Creep. If you start your cast before it unrolls and now you catch 400 grains of a shooting head on top of a six gram fly, you're going to snap your wrist in half. It's going to hurt. You can't do that. You have to have that rod laid back nice and flat with a little bit of drift back to it as you come up with both hands and use that haul with a little flick at the end. And so it'll make you a better caster. But if you take a bad caster and you give him a heavy fly, it's, it's, it's going to, he's going to learn some lessons is what he's going to do. And so people, it's a caveat. And I don't think people always appreciate it because you don't necessarily experience that in the smaller sizes. Like I could tie, this surprised me. I tied a, a bucktail deceiver on a one knot long shank saltwater hook, really thick wire hook. It's like the SA uh, 220 from A-Rex. And I could cast it about 80 or 90 feet on my six weight. And I didn't think I could cast it on my six weight at all. I just had my six weight on me and I was pike fishing. I was like, well, let's just see how well it casts. And I was kind of blown away by how well it casted. And in that smaller size, you're only talking like, I don't know, a gram and a half of hook weight plus the water weight and material weight of the bucktail. Like it wasn't a lot. And as you scale that up, you have to be able to control that weight in that back cast because you're going to go from a six inch fly at maybe a gram and a half or two grams to a 12 inch fly at six grams or six and a half grams or seven grams. And that weight is going into that rod load because it's flying with the fly line. It's, it's all, it's no longer sagging and drifting and having to be pulled behind everything and controlled like that. It's literally when that, fly line unrolls all of that extra weight is at the end of that cast it's all right there and you have to be able to control that and so when you do that commercially in the largest scale it's going to create issues for people who don't aren't in the know if they're not in the know it's going to create issues for them in the smaller sizes like an eight inch fly it's only going to be helpful because it's only going to be maybe three grams of weight or two and a half grams of weight and that's not so much that it's going to hurt somebody casting a 10 weight. They're not going to know it's there. It's going to be like, wow, this is a nice fly. But when you step it up to the big size, uh, all that weight is there. And you have to be aware of it. And you have to change your stroke to accommodate it. And it'll make you a better caster at the end of the day. So. And, and have you noticed, uh, let's use the Cerati sl uh, Slammer. Um, 
the different materials you you mentioned the crinkly versus the straight fibers but do different yeah. materials retain more water and add a a different amount of weight to the fly during the cast so i think the biggest thing is like a fiber versus a feather because fiber flies something that happens with fiber is you get water tension you get water cohesion like all the molecules are stuck together from hydrogen bonds or whatever that is and so when you pick it out of the water you literally see all the water weight pouring out of that fly and then you give it a flick and it's dry right and people that's why people like to say synthetics cast better uh and so that water weight doesn't necessarily contribute even for like yak versus slinky hair like the and i don't think yak absorbs anything even though it is natural because it's not like a feather and the best way to test this is like when I get my flies wet, I run just about everything under the sink, especially bucktail flies before I do my photography. And you'll know as soon as you get like a, a bucktail fly, like a Buford that then has rooster hackles for your tail, those rooster hackles are wet for like three freaking hours. They're wet forever. That water does not come out of that hair. When you, when you sit there and you're false casting, all that water weight is still in those hackles. It does not jettison out. But it'll jettison for the most part out of bucktail. You look at bucktail, you get it wet. It'll be wet for like 10 minutes, maybe 15, but it doesn't like hold water the same way that a feather does. And neither does a fiber. All that water weight doesn't necessarily help you. Huh. That's a good answer. I, I never thought of it that way. But like you said, uh, when we shake synthetic flies, like you said, it shakes all the, the water off. Boom. And it's gone. So that's that's a tricky thing. Yeah. And yeah, I think something to take away from that is you have to understand, I think when Sadati first figured all this out, he was doing a feather slammer. And so this was way back when you could get premium slopping and he made it like, it was like a 13 inch fly and he had weight in it and he had a keel box in it and the hook, but he had a bunch of hackles at the back. And that's, I think that it's, you have to understand that water weight is actually going to help that, that fly cast. And when you move to a synthetic state, now you don't have water weight. And that's why you have to put so much lead on it because you have so much resistance, but now you don't have water weight. Water weight actually will aid the weight balancing of a fly. The problem is, I think a really good example from the trout realm is people associate water, water weight negatively. And I think if you look at like a butt monkey, that's a great example of a, a quarter inch wide zonker wing with a marabou tail on top of it with wool head on medium lead eyes. That's just water weight on top of water weight on top of water weight with lead. Yeah. It's a very hard fly to cast. But if you look at like my seasoned geezer, I use a eighth inch zonker wing, a synthetic belly, a synthetic head with small lead eyes. I can cast that thing 80 feet on my four weight. It's balanced, but it has the same silhouette proportions, water push action as a butt monkey. And so I'm using the water weight in the zonker wing to help me cast it. If I tied the whole thing synthetic, I'd have to add more weight. I use that eighth inch zonker wing to help weight balance it on top of my small lead eyes. And so people associate that water weight with, say, a butt monkey as a negative thing. But when you step that scale up to eight inch, nine inch, 10 inch flies with hackles on them, those hackles help you. That water weight helps you because you have a larger fly with more air resistance. Everything is relative to air resistance. That's why I predicated the whole before we get into this. If you don't take the second half of that statement, none of this matters because it's all relative. Yeah. And the same thing happens with how do they behave in the water? Like it's 
if you put five grams of lead on the hook, is it going to drop like a rock? And it's like, dude, it's a 12 inch fly. If I had a one ounce sinker on it, it wouldn't drop like a rock. Like it's 12 freaking inches of fiber back there. Like, yes, it's going to sink. But hey, if you're a floating line guy, you're going to love it because it's going to fish a foot down or two feet down. Nice, fast retrieve on a floating line. Like, how cool is that? Like, you don't get to do that every day, especially if you're buying everybody else's bucktail work or beast work or so that, like flannel work. Like, there's just, it's all nuanced. And people, the problem is, is not everybody is like me. And that's, that's something I, I you forget. Because, <laughs> you know what that is the like, problem? <laughs> because I want, to, I want to play with it. I want to figure it out. If there's a problem, that's okay with me because I'm going to learn something at the end of the day. Like people, man, they want the quick, easy fix. Everything's figured out for them. If it doesn't work, they're like upset with you instead of like, maybe it was me. <laughs> that thought's never crossed anybody's mind. I thought the Clouser so, Minnow was the answer to everything. <clears throat> if you ain't learning, you ain't shit. So, <laughs> so you mentioned the the season geezer um you're not commercially tying anymore correct that's correct so what what is going on with all these flies that you've designed um they're just going to die they're just going they're to just die, going to die. <laughs> <laughs> is there is there a an avenue that uh are you gonna try to get those commercially tied by someone else or are no, you... I think everybody should become a better fisherman and tie their own flies. Okay. There you go, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I asked someone I have I have probably caught less than six fish in my entire life on somebody else's streamer. I have ever since I first started tying, literally the year I got my fly rod, I got a vice. I literally sat downstairs and tied crap bugs for about seven years. And I think I have only ever caught a fish on Kelly Gallup's commercially tied zoo cougar. I think maybe three of them and a commercially tied circus peanut. Those are the only two commercially tied flies I've ever fished in my life. So you're talking like friends fly. I'm, are you talking like fly patterns or just flies that did not come off your personal vice that Correct. keep in somebody so I'm else's talking patterns? About flies. Well, actually, technically I'm talking about both. Um, so what I mean by my statement is flies that I purchased. I have only ever caught probably six fish ever on flies that I purchased and did not make myself. On top of that, I've obviously tied other people's patterns. And even today I tied Popovich's beasts and bulkheads and bucktail receivers and Kelly Gallup's flies. And I tie everybody's flies, but it's never the same. I, I never, <clears throat> this is something that I think is, is very, different and i don't see it everywhere but so let's take uh like like um my jerk junior i don't know when that was that was like three I years ago this. maybe i have not tied or fished it in over three years when i designed that fly i tied it and fished it that year i fished the piss out of it i variation after variation until i release a youtube video and i've never tied it or fished it since and that is something that is why I have a hundred YouTube tutorials. Every time I have an idea, I take that idea until it's a finished pattern and then I post it and then I start a new project. I don't, I don't go back. Now I might go back and update something or, or change out a material or try to adapt it to a different hook. And I'll, maybe I'll post an update on Instagram or something, but I, 
for whatever reason, I am addicted fishing wise to trying to get them to eat something new. It's not, it's, it's no longer about fishing. It's no longer about trying to catch a fish. It's trying to catch a fish on this new idea. If it's not on this new idea, I don't want them to eat. It's this new idea or nothing. Mm-hmm. So, and I've, I've been that way the whole time. That's why, that's why I have 50 freaking fly designs It's because when I finish one, I move on. I don't it's the only reason when I, uh, on my Instagram, the only reason you saw jerk juniors repeatedly was they were commercial orders. People ordered them. So I tied them. But once the design was done, I never fished it for myself after that moment. So uh, this is weird. Um, so it was a learning step for you and not, not so much like that's in my, my regimen. That's, that's my go-to fly. These are if all you stepping look at my stones. fly box, when I went to a river, it'll be full of 20 new patterns and maybe one that I have. Like I just, I brought it just in case 20 of my ideas failed. I have this one to kind of fish my way out. But I do not, my boxes don't look like hollow points and super jerks and jerk juniors and skinny dippers. They look like a bunch of garbage ideas that I tied all winter long. And I got, I have a five gallon bucket full of flies right next to me. Not one of them is the same. And I got <laughs> probably 15 on top of my shelf and five behind me. And it's like, you might see me post a slammer. And you're like, oh, Gunner tied another slammer. But it's on a tube with a different hook, with a different like stinger hook, with a different weight stinger hook, with a different size rattle, with a different profile head that I might have coated with soft text or not soft text, or I might have used five minute epoxy or a 3DI or a 2DI with Shugu with a UV resin coating over the top, draped over it just enough to help double secure it. Like every freaking fly is different in some way, shape, or form so that when I fish it, I learned something from that fly. Every single one is different slightly. Probably the only fly I ever tie the same are bucktail flies, and it's because the bucktail is different every single time. And so you have to always tie in that state of mind of creating because you can't tie a bucktail fly the same because the bucktail is always different and changing which is why out of everything I've ever done, I have gravitated so heavily on Popovix's work and I tie so many bucktail flies because they're always challenging no matter what I do. So regardless, that bucktail fly is going to be different every time, right? It's, it's always, unless you have the same hair, which after maybe three or four flies is gone. It's, it's, I don't know if it's a state of mind or if it's having to to improvise on the fly and understand how that material is going to behave or like, that's why, that's why people hoard bucktail. That's why I have 200 bucktail in my basement on the floor. Not not 10, not 15, 200, just for me. I'm not even commercially tying 200 just for me to dink around. So is your fishing the same way as you're tying? If you catch a fish, do you immediately take that fly off and try something different? No. So, because I want to, I, so like, because the goal is to have a finished pattern, I want to know the new, I want to be able to catch 50 fish on it, but it's all going to be until that pattern is what I want. So like when I did the pheasant rump bait fish or, or the pheasant rump swing, like I fish those, I might fish it like three weekends in a row. And I'll literally put 50 fish on the board on that one fly with three different variations and see which one had the best hookup one, which one road through, how thick the wing needed to be how the head balance, what it looked like on the strip, if I should use braid or if I should use steel for the articulation on a swing fly, 
and see how the, the braid sags every time I strip it. And because I strip it up the bank, which for whatever reason, steelhead guys don't like that I do that. But the fact that I work <laughs> the fly up the bank, like I, it's purpose. Like I, I might go with six different variations and I'll, so if I catch a fish on, maybe I'll catch three or four fish on one, then I'll switch up to another variation, but it's all the same fly until that fly is done. Then it's a new fly. And I think I, I, I talk to myself like this might change, like, because when I, so next year the plan is to swing channel cats and I scouted some new water and I found a perfect run where I could swing channel cats. And right now in my head, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to fish the fence and run bait fish. And so that I'm, I think I'm, I'm, or if like, if I go down to Brazil, I'm probably going to fish a bulkhead or if I go, you know, I, I, I can't say that I always do it differently because right now I have a plan to use that fly again, even though it's already done. But I also have five months until then to come up with something new. And there's probably a good chance in five months from now, I'm going to have a completely new fly that I've never fished in my life that I'm going to try to catch channel cats on in a section of river that I've never fished in my life. And that's the plan. Black leeches, black leech <laughs> pattern. I'm serious. <clears throat> Yeah, tied I, on this silly Texas style. What what are we with the PR? Yeah, t- yeah. Tie something on that with big leech. Oh, all day. Are the are these like <laughs> are these like run catfish? Because people fish for those fuckers like crazy around here, dude. <laughs> these are channel cats. They're and this was what was interesting about scouting that section of river is I learned that the smallmouth don't go up that far, and so. If you look at the St. Louis, it's not a trophy smallmouth fishery. If you look at all my fishing videos, most of my fish are like 14 inches. They're not huge. And I might catch one 18-incher a year or one 20-incher a year, but I don't go up and put two 20-inchers on each trip or something crazy like that. The fishery is not suitable for smallmouth. In fact, if you look at our water temperatures up here, the upper stretches of the St. Louis run mid-80s in the summer. It gets wicked hot that far north and it's all muck bottom and it's all tannic stained and it just sits there and absorbs heat and when you don't get any rain and there's no creeks to feed it up there it's just channel cats they're the only species that can sit there for two months in 85 degree water and just bask in it happy as a clam oh yeah that's their glory days and so what's interesting is because i daydream like Man, nobody fishes this river. Nobody's here. I got this whole place to myself. Like, I'm going to start this wicked cool guide service and get a jet and run all these sections. And the only thing up there is freaking channel cats. Now, I'd be happy to fish channel cats all the time, but I don't think I'm going to be taking out 20 trips a year trying to get people to catch channel cats. Like, you're going to be like, mm, mm, mm. Just going to sell them, man. <laughs> is it on the fly? Because you could sell that. <laughs> it's on the swing, man. It's going to be on the swing. I have to figure all this out. This is next spring. I haven't done any of this yet. This is all hypothetical. But... <laughs> this is designing a hook. All fishing is hypothetical, sir. Yep. <clears throat> that's what so makes that's it so much fun. On. So I have another question about the uh, the new Gunner Branham or swim bait hook. Can you put a shank on the front of it and then make like a a Joe Goodspeed style fly with the goop head coming back. So this is what my answer is going to be. And I hope you don't take it offensive. No, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is something I've never understood in fly tying. Because if you look at, um, 
I don't know. It was probably two weeks ago. But I posted a, a shank in the front with a wiggle tail in the back, and I basically used the swim bait hook where you would place like a mid-body stinger hook almost. So I extended it backward closer to the wiggle tail instead of up at the front. Mm-hmm. And I have that same hook rigged on tube flies to offset it, just like the the Joe Goodspeed silicone big fathead things. I don't actually know what the pattern's called, but yeah, that's good enough. The big fathead thing. I've done the same thing with tube flies. So I haven't used the shank, but I've done it with tube flies. Okay. And this is something that tickles me to death on YouTube because uh, we talked about how people don't necessarily want to, to, to figure it out on their own and they Hmm. want that finished product. And I'll get these comments like, can I tie that fly with medium lead eyes? And I'm just like, Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> Go ahead. Buddy. Or like, can I tie that fly out of craft fur, or can I tie that fly out of bucktail, or can I substitute this material? And and I don't understand because you're depriving yourself of the opportunity to try something and learn something. Like, of course you can. Of course you can put a shank up front. Why wouldn't you? Like, just try it. The only thing, like, it's so I don't I don't know how that variation with a shank in front with a trapped silicone head and how high that head's going to be and if that blocks the offset of the point or if that hook placement is going to be acceptable mm. you know i can't sit here and bullshit out an answer of like yeah that's going to be great it's going to be perfect well why not <laughs> well <laughs> yeah it's gone. you are gunner misrepresent you, the information you're a gunner right you, you know no that you're the gb jack, man no, I'm... the only reason I can tell you what a fly is going to do in the vise is because I have fished it. Yeah. Not because I'm a genius. It's because I sat there and I tied 20 of them and I saw what they each did. And I said, ah, this one does this because it's got the right shank length. It balanced out the hook point. You like literally short shank hooks, heavy in the head. They dip head first. Like it's that simple. Like tie a short shank hook and see what it does on in still water when you strip it. Oh, if you tie on a spinnerbait hook, you spread that weight out over neutrally buoyant materials, it suspends better. So now you just have a simple thing. If I want it to suspend, longer shank hook. If I want it to dip head first, short shank hook. Like, you just add to the repertoire, man. And this is just problem solving 101. Do something dumb, observe it, take notes, try again. Like, that's how you learn. And people will ask these questions, and I don't understand, because it's literally going to take you, like, just tie two of them. Tie one the way I tied it, and tied one with lead eyes, and see if you like the difference, man. When you're it's finding about... this out, is when you're finding this information out, is it in always in still water, non-moving water, or are you finding a lot of this out in moving water? And do you, you know what I mean? Is that all? Like, I'm, you know, even talking to a couple of the great fly tires, they say that makes all the difference, and when they're finding out information about the way their fly swim. That's fascinating. I do well, so. It depends on how I use it. So like when I'm, you know, all my swing flies are designed in moving water because that's how I, where I fish them. All my musky flies as of late have all been still water because this year I fished all exclusively still water musky. I've never done that before. This was the first year I've ever fished still water musky on the fly. And that's all I did for like half the year. And so I struggled really hard with the slammers because they are weighted and I want them to suspend. Like I want that dang fly to suspend in still water. And what's fascinating is I have probably four different variations of this thing in my Excel sheet and what they all did. And I know for a fact, like three out of the four would be perfect river flies because I don't need that infinite hover pause. But when I'm still water fishing a weed bed, I want that fly to just sit there and be level for like 
five freaking seconds, and I can't get it to do it with it weight balanced at the time being. And I'm trying to figure that out. So, can, can you throw like some polypropylene fiber in there to try to make it hover a little bit more? Would that help you? Like something that floats. I would, if you could send me a link to that, I would be very happy. On uh, the inside. We'll, we'll just send you the material to try. So sir. far, I've been trying. Obviously, little pockets of foam. I've been doing silicone heads and trying to trap air. And using what, soft what about like a like wing material? I I just bought some stuff today, and uh, I'll I'll let you know how it turns out. So okay. when it gets here, but it, it's supposed to be floating synthetic. Um, you just have to brush it out to make it like into I got, fibers. I got some crazy old wing so it, material that that probably is what it is. So it, so I don't know if I can talk about this here, and this is interesting because it's related. But I told Hedron. Wait, wait should like, should I should I write the time stamp down so we can edit it out? <laughs> Maybe, It'd but I bad. told Hedron, I was like, if you can make strong fuzzy fiber and a uh, basically a material that has a, a specific gravity less than water so that it was buoyant, it'd be the ultimate synthetic head material to create suspending flies with. Because it's exactly the polypropylene, whatever you're talking about, if you could crimp that and have a fiber diameter, the same as strong fuzzy fiber to make your synthetic bulkhead so that you could support the nose weight of every single hook, you could tie a perfectly sculpted three-dimensional fly with a balanced head weight. And you could use that fiber to then balance out weight balanced flies and create infinitely suspending flies simply by using less dense material. That's amazing. Now, now, riddle me this one, and I'm not trying to be a smart ass in asking the question, but when you already have natural materials that achieve that action, is it just because of wanting to push the boundary a little further to go to synthetics or... What, why? Well, so the thing about synthetics is, is they're going to be it's your cast, one more right? durable, but two 100% consistent. So like bucktail's all different. So well, if yeah, you tie a fly with bucktail huge, and I tie yeah. a fly with bucktail, they're different. Yeah. And if sure. I can tell somebody, hey, take 50 strands of this fiber, it's going to balance out that hook, and they they can do that because we have the same fiber. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, is I really struggle when you go from say, so like why tie a beast versus a slammer? I can stack a 12 inch slammer in 10 minutes. It takes me an hour and a half to tie a beast fly. Now the beast is going to have a better action, different taper and different nuance to it. I'm not saying you should do one or the other, but what's hard is when you go from a fiber to bucktail, the, the transition in getting that correct and the silhouette to match and the, the fly to look like one unit. When I stack flies, I like to stack, fibers that are the same and similar so that it's one continuous unit. And so the, the only goal is because yak is a fiber to have a nice fibered head. And that way I can create that continuous taper blend and it's all one clean silhouette, similar densities and diameters. And yeah. So that, that would, you would run that throughout the whole fly then there wouldn't be no offset. I, w- I would use it basically as a shoulder and head material gotcha because it it would be relative to wherever your your weight is you would just use it to support that weight for weight balancing or the weight of the hook or the the weight of a a front heavy hook like a short shank saltwater hook or something like that you could you could interlay it like when you watch monaghan do his bulkheads and he uses strong fuzzy fiber to actually do the bulkhead like you could just layer in a synthetic like that in between different bucktail stacks to actually add a bulkhead in between a bucktail deceiver, and then you're adding neutrally buoyant synthetics 
it'll be like a short hotspot collar material. It all depends. You know, I don't know. I just thought it was a cool idea. More, more so a balancing effect. Yeah. It, I gotcha. The goal would be still water. Because I, would... I think oh. Sorry. so often everything's designed around current or jetties or spillways or, and that's fine. But when you take those flies into a still water situation, a lot of times they don't succeed. They're straight on flies is what you're saying, right? Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. I have a, <laughs> I have a technical question for you, Gunner. I have a hell of a time spinning strong fuzzy fiber into a dubbing loop. I, <laughs> I can't do you, it. You and everybody else. Except you. <laughs> <laughs> It's the biggest failure that I've ever done. I, I don't know why. I but can, when I yeah, go for it. Well, I Sorry. can get into a brush. I cannot do a dubbing loop with it. It it twists and clumps and it's a pain in my ass and I'm never gonna do it again. Tell me why I should. <clears throat> I can't. You should just stack it. <laughs> you should stack it. Chad Chad stacks it everywhere. <laughs> so this is the full story behind the strong fuzzy fiber bulkhead. Um, I saw uh, Nick Granato. What's that pattern called? Sasquatch. He has that craft first spun head. Mm-hmm. And when I Hedron sent me strong fuzzy fiber, it was kind of just like, here's this fiber that we don't sell anything of. See if you can do something with it. And I was like, holy smokes. I wonder if I could spin this in a dubbing loop. It was the first thought I ever had. The thought was not, I wonder if I could stack this. It was, I wonder if I could spin it up in a loop like Granato. So I did. And it worked. I can't, the only thing I can tell you is that I saw Nicholas Bauer and Daniel Holm spin flash boo up in dubbing loops back when I was in college. That experience was the worst thing I have ever tried to do in my life. <laughs> Trying to spin up 10 inch long pieces of flash boo in a dubbing loop is a nightmare. And after about three years of sucking at it, this is what I'm talking about, people. You have to practice. After three years of sucking, I could do it, and I could do it clean. The, taking that technique to strong fuzzy fiber, I can do that that spun dubbing loop strong fuzzy fiber head every single time perfectly clean because I think I can do it with flash boot, because I can do it with a limper, longer material that's more prone to following. I am more adept at doing it with strong fuzzy fiber. And this is something that I have a hard time with because I'll teach it in classes and I'll teach it like I'm the chosen one and I'll get emails like, Hey man, <clears throat> I've tied up like three of your chosen ones and I just can't get the head right. I was like three of them. You got to tie about 300 of these bad boys. Like you got to buy some kits, baby. Like let's start rolling out some stuff. <laughs> but, no. but like, there you go. Where can you buy the kits? Wait, at? <laughs> did you tell him what dot com to go on or what? So what, so what you're telling Chad is he needs about, Three two hundred eighty-seven more, more. twenty-five more pounds, <laughs> and three years from now he'll be okay at this stuff if he just keeps at it. Yeah, just, you, I'm not yeah. trying to be a prick, but yes. Oh no, that's perfectly it's, fine. That's yeah. That's what I'm. That's what we're here for. You'll be three hundred pounds by the time you get this shit right, Chad. So so Jake, check this off. <laughs> if you notice when I do it, um. <laughs> I do. Can you refill mine? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Long distance pour. Yeah. So uh, basically I learned strong fuzzy fiber with the loop. That was the first way I ever did it. So that's how I learned it. And because I had never seen anybody else doing it, this was something that I find really tricky. 
trying to learn other people's techniques and other people's pattern is difficult because you are not them. You don't have their experience and you're not in their state of mind. It's very easy to learn something new on your own and to have that kind of be like your signature thing because you developed it at your own pace in a sensible way that made sense to you. And so like when I ad- approach strong fuzzy fiber, that's how I approach it. Cause that's how I taught it to myself. That's how I learned it without any outside influence. No one, I've never seen strong fuzzy fiber before in my life. I just thought let's try it. And it worked. And so that's how I always taught it year after year, after year, after year. And what's funny is after about three years of emails about if you can stack it or not, I finally in the first two, uh, PR 378 chosen one video, I showed people how to stack it. I showcased how to stack it, how to use the right density, get the right collar length, how to use a little thread bump with CA glue to control the flare so that you can get everything to slick back and look like a spun head. Now the advantage of the spun head is I can do it denser and I can trim it cleaner because the fibers stick out 90 degrees so I can create an exact shape. When you stack it, you have to control the way the fibers lay so you don't get air gaps where your thread locks in. And you have to basically hollow tie it with a material dam and zappa gap so that you can get it to lay back and sculpt it. And then you're cutting fibers that are laid back. And so they're not, you can't make an aggressive cut. And if you make a mistake, it can't hide it. And so it's much harder to trim it and make it look clean. But it also took me three years to try that. I literally, for three years to not even try to stack it because I like to do it in the dubbing room. And so, yes, you don't have to spin it up, but that's my caveat to that. If you want to do the dubbing loop, especially for doing like synthetic bulkheads so you can get a really dense head that will push water and have a lot of friction on it so that it'll balance pretty well. The biggest thing that I think is important is if you watch me do it, I always use a manual twist dubbing loop twister I always use manual. There's no like, there's no speed about it. And it's always under tension. It's always level. And the most important thing is before I put the fibers in the loop, they're always combed out. So none of my fibers are crisscrossed. There's nothing overlapping. So that when they spin, they spin 90 degrees instead of getting twisted around each other. And I think combing it out is probably the biggest caveat to getting them to lay right in the dubbing loop so that they're perpendicular in the brush and not touching each other. Because as soon as they touch each other and are kinked off to the side, That'll create a knot as soon as you go to spin that. You know what I think my biggest problem is now that you say that? When I tie flies, my hands get really sweaty, and I can't get the the fibers to let go of my fingers. Once I let go, they stick to my fingers, and then they get sideways in the dubbing loop. That's fair. Yeah, I'm telling you. That's it. That's, my, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> you got to tie flies in a really cold basement. That's, that's my trick. My office is in a basement right now. It's probably 55 degrees down here. Yeah, so the only, the only the only time I sweat is when I'm filming a video because my big lights are shining on me and I'll leave them on for like an hour and a half and it actually heats up my office a pretty good amount. This podcast studio is hotter than the pits of hell right now. <laughs> what? I'm freezing my sack off and you got a t-shirt on, you fat bastard. There is It's not fucking hot in here. Gunner, I choose to hang out with these assholes. <laughs> when I met Chad, he was the size of fucking Mark. <laughs> now he looks like he ate me and <laughs> plus a mark. Uh, oh, we're just all best friends. Has really aged well. I remember three years ago, it was a much different feel. You know, this is good. <laughs> well Thank played. you, Gunner. 
<laughs> yeah. So, hey, Gunner, we've had you on the phone for an hour, a little bit over, maybe hour and ten. Um, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to? Any, any projects in the works? Uh, anything like that? I never know what I'm working on. Um, everything is – so basically I'm trying to start a fly shop. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and and uh, I'm kind of excited because it's been a long a long process. And like the material kits last year were kind of my first step into a retail uh, material. And the support was overwhelming. It was really cool to actually see, you know, five years of YouTube work kind of have a, a real kickback to it. And so something that I don't see very often is is truly – a streamer specific shop guys who are niche it seems like every time i go into a fly shop it's always maybe trout oriented and local that area and streamers are kind of just on the you know like whatever and then you have the shops that kind of carry everything but they can't actually give you direction or input and um when i bought my new online store program the equity program what was really cool is i could make these nested folders and so one of the folders is material kit now, it's not like an actual kit that ties six flies. It's just full retail packages. But I can organize every single one of my materials by pattern. So if you want to tie a chosen one, you just click on the chosen one, and it's got everything you need from the hook, the thread, to the squimpish, to the, the wing and flash. Everything is in that folder. And you can find it under synthetics and hooks and all the other typical filing systems that you'd see for a fly shop. And so I'm, I'm really excited to buff it out and literally carry everything that I use for each pattern that I teach. And it'll all be broken down that way. So if you have a fly you want to check out, you can check it out. And you know where everything is in one location. And what will be really cool is something I've tried to do with the Chosen One in the Pheasant Room series is I've started to become uh, very conscious of why I use things and what actually serves a purpose. Because I now have to carry those materials, and that's inventory, and that's money going out, and I have to stock these, and it takes up shelf space, and it's, it's limiting how much I can buy at one time to turn around. And so it's like, how, what, how simply can I get this silhouette with the best action that's a fish catcher that's proven that does what I want? And so kind of moving forward, every time you see those patterns, everything is purposeful. And, and the, the goal is because if I have to stock it, I have to be intentional about what I'm stocking. So everything has a purpose and everything is going to have a, a multiple use application. So it's like if you just buy materials for one pattern, I feel like a lot of times this happens in streamer fishing and, and dry fly fishing and people who learn how to tie flies, they buy stuff to tie a pattern and then they have stuff to tie one pattern and then they have to buy stuff to tie a second pattern. It's like how many materials from the first pattern can transfer over to the second pattern can transfer over to a third pattern? Like what if I sold you materials and you could tie six flies with it, six different silhouettes on six different platforms with six different sizes. That, that's the goal is to, because I don't, I don't want, I don't want to, maybe I shouldn't say it this frankly, but I don't want people to buy flies. I want people to tie their own fly because I have done that my whole life, and I think it is the most rewarding thing. I don't, I don't want to catch a fish on somebody else's fly. I don't want to. If it's not on my fly, I don't want to catch it. The feeling of accomplishment 
and the feedback, literally the addiction that, that the chemicals your brain release when you do that, it's insane to catch, let's say, a 50-inch muskie on the first bucktail you ever built in your life. That adrenaline dump was so freaking insane. It was nuts. I have never in my life experienced anything like it. I was out of breath for 20 minutes. I was out of breath. <laughs> I did like a full two-mile run just right there catching one fish. <laughs> and the amount of elation of looking at that homemade, custom-made dress spinner all from scratch on my own, it's like if I could give that to somebody, like obviously support your local fly shops, support the people you like, try their flies, learn things. But if you can get into tying, you will never stop tying or fly fishing for the rest of your life. If you don't tie your own flies, it's kind of like a fun thing to do. It's a hobby. It's nice. But if you want to get addicted to something and pour yourself into something and become better for it, tying your flies is the coolest caveat to any industry there is. So with that being said, and that all makes sense, when you break every little thing down so that you buy, like, let's say this pattern for this one and this pattern for this one, and you have all the materials laid out and everything's ready for that person to tie. At that point, you're essentially, I mean, yes, you're getting the person to tie and you're getting them to tie something you're going to use on their own, but you retard their abilities to move forward. Correct. They're not yep. going to be able to move away from that because all you did was give them exactly what they can tie and you never gave them a chance to tie anything else or broaden their horizon. Hey, what are you accusing me of something? No. <laughs> Wait just, a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that how, so this, how, where, I know, I know like your videos and what have you in there, but how do you get them to broaden from that then if you're only giving them just that? Hey, I don't like your tone, mister. So check this out. <laughs> <laughs> How many times, well, I guess if you don't watch my videos, you don't know, but how many times have you ever seen me in a video be like, well, you could use marabou foretail or hackles or soft hackles, or you could pair these pheasant rump just like this, like I'm doing. Like, I might give you the materials to tie it the way I tie it, but I try to give you more information than you need. Yeah. And even if that information isn't in that pattern or that material kit, I also have a hundred videos that explain how to use each different thing and how to stack the perfect tackle tail and how to invert a fly and how to tie a swim bait rig on a swim bait hook. And then I have a swim bait hook rig. And my assumption is that you probably have materials at home and you probably have a local fly shop that you should support even if you're buying my kits. And if you buy a kit that has a dozen hooks and materials to tie who knows how many flies, you should sure as heck not tie a dozen flies that are the same. And if that means, like, if you look at the chosen one, those are all the same materials, but I have a jig chosen one. I have a silicone jig chosen one. I have a weightless chosen one. That's a bulkhead. I have a high and tight chosen one. I have a silicone high and tight chosen one. I have a silicone bulkhead chosen one. I have a four-aught silicone chosen Like, it's the same kit, but you can tie half a dozen different flocks. So that's what I have to say about that, mister. That's a good. That's a very good answer to that question. And then half of that, those materials can probably go into another fly, that's not anything like a chosen one. Correct? You're darn right. Because how often I every time I use, uh, if you've watched like my imposter or the Mega Jerk, anything that uses that custom brush or even the AllSpark series where I show you how to do it without a brush, I stack squimpish or big fly fiber uh, as my my tail dressing, and I use strong fuzzy fiber to tie those bulkheads. Literally. 
a bulkhead Allspark is just a bulkhead chosen one scaled up to about nine inches tied out of flash boot. It's the same pattern. You just got to change your hook and buy some flash boot and you're good to go. Hmm. So because the more I tie, the more that kind of signature maybe style or the materials that I've gravitated towards or materials that I like, everything is cross applicable. Nothing is set in stone to tie one pattern. Like when you buy that pheasant skin from me to tie the pheasant round bait fish, I've used pheasant, a pheasant skin in half a dozen patterns now, maybe even nine. Like you can tie that bugger jig, the mini feather craw, the mini marabou jig, the pheasant rump bait fish, the pheasant rump muddler. Like it's loaded out on top of being able to tie the pheasant rump swing. And so it's like one pattern based around a pheasant skin, but it's all different rigging, different hooks, different weight systems, different head designs. It's all designed to be nuanced so that you can match whatever forage you want and fish whatever depth you want or weedless or whatever you want to do before we go i have have one last question before we you know leave leave our uh leave all this uh crazy talk for tonight um where do you draw the line of what is a fly and what isn't a fly i've been i've been looking through a couple books and different things and seeing different things that guys put together that look like crafting a fucking Rapala or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I don't know, like, and, and it can't be with balsa wood because balsa wood poppers, it's the same thing that a Rapala used to be made out of. Where do you where do you kind of think the line is drawn between what we're throwing as flies and what we're throwing as, you know, gear anymore? At, at some point, I guess I'd just, just rather grab a gear rod and throw a Rapala. Okay, so I'll answer that in two things. I don't have a line. Uh, if it makes me happy to do it the way I want to do it, then I'm going to do it that way. I don't care what anybody thinks. Um, and I see so much hate in our industry where like somebody ties something basically they didn't use any thread at all. And they glued all this stuff on the hook and they throw it on a fly rod and everybody jumps down their throat. And it's like, Hey, if he wants to throw it on a fly rod, that's his thing. Like leave him alone. I don't care. Like it's a cool pattern. It was a cool technique. The other thing is I talked about that trolling spinner and I talked about how, I could, I thought I could weight balance it for casting. And the reason why I put it on my bait caster is because I was like, when I was retrieving it on my fly rod, I thought this is pointless. I would rather use my bait caster because it'll be more efficient. And so that's where I also don't draw a line because I fish gear and fly. And because I craft my own lures, not just my own flies, but I make my own jigs and I make my own spinners and I make my own harnesses. I don't have a line because to me it's about making what I use, not how I use it. And so, you know, if, if you tie a fly and you're like, why not just fish gear, then fish gear. But what I would challenge you to do is to make your own molds or pour your own jig heads or dress your own bucktail jig. Cause I think you can make it a lot cooler than just buying some soft plastics and pitching them or buying a Rapala and pitching it. Like, Man, get into wood carving and get into lip design and figure out how all those lips work and balance it and, and where the weight needs to be and, and all the different treble hooks and how you can change out treble hooks to make a fly suspend or make it sink or make it a countdown lure based on the weight of the treble hook and how many there are and where they are in the hook. Like, you know, it's about sure, your own no, that, you, you think deep, man. Well, <laughs> you think no, deep. No, it's, 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 <laughs> nah, about, cool, yeah. it's about using good. your own well, shit. There's, yeah. there's, a, there's well a good feeling behind that. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't trying to be a prick at all. No, no, it's well like, said. No, absolutely. That's why I asked the question. Because I got, I posted a video called Intro to Swing. 
And uh, what I found very fascinating about the feedback in that video, Intro to Swing, I have just like, I don't know, a five-minute highlight reel of me catching a bunch of smallmouth and walleye swinging flies for the first time ever because I've never swung flies before. And what I found fascinating was the amount of feedback I got of people trying to tell me how to fish. People trying to tell me, no, 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 no. You can't use a switch rod that way. You're not supposed to overhead cast it. No, no, no. When it gets to the tail out of that swing, you're supposed to lift the rod and wiggle it or something. I'm like, look, buddy, if you think for a second that I did not pitch that thing out there, try a two-hand retrieve, a speed retrieve, a slow retrieve, a strip retrieve, a strip set, not strip setting, uh, stripping it up the bank, which I already mentioned steelhead guys don't like. Apparently, they just bring it in so they can cast again. But, hey, if I got smallies <laughs> on the inside of that bank and I strip it in front of them, they're going to eat it. And then I'm going to strip set right into their lip and bury that thing home. Like, don't tell me how to fish because you're not fishing my water. You're not fishing my fish and you're not fishing my flies. And if you think for a second that I'm going to listen to somebody tell me how to fish and then only do it that way and not challenge that, you're nuts. The whole reason I got into swing fishing was because Kelly doesn't like it. He doesn't talk about it very much. And Kelly was my first ever influence. And so I was like, you know what? I can't just take Kelly at his word as much as I'd like. I need to put this to the test. And you know what? I stuck a boatload of smallmouth doing it. And in fact, I love fishing my river that way because I could access so much more. I had so much more reach because I have, I fish in a forest. I fish in Northern Minnesota. I'm not in Montana land fishing a bunch of grass where I can cast. I literally have 50 foot trees overhanging the edge of my river. And the only way I can get a cast in is if I wade out waist deep and then I'm like 10 feet from the bank. I can't make a, a 10 foot back cast. You're only able to shoot upstream or downstream. It's absolutely nuts. So it's time I for you to move. I don't understand. I'll, I'll take, I'll take my friends fishing. I'll take somebody who's they fly, he's fly fish for the past 10 years. <clears throat> we'll get in the water. And maybe it's because he knows I've fished there before, but he looks at me and he's basically like, what do I do? Should I, should I throw upstream or should I swing or should I throw downstream? Do you think I should throw at that rock? Should I throw at that tree? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not your babysitter and I'm not your guide. I'm bringing you along. Like fish <laughs> the dang river, fish the river, fish the middle, fish the bank, fish upstream, fish downstream, hit that rock. Like it's just a cast. It didn't take you any time to make the cast and check like Jack. Like, see where the fish are. Strip that thing. Dead drift that thing. Use a two-hand retrieve. Fish it fast. Get down low. Like, the fish tell you where they are if you ask the right questions. And so for someone to tell me that I'm doing it wrong, even though I caught 50 fish on the swing, it's just the most ridiculous idea. Just because I didn't do it your way doesn't mean I did it wrong. <laughs> it just means I wasn't afraid to try it my own way. And now, I'm not trying to be a prick because you should learn from other people and you should try to uh, uh, apply other techniques and see if those are successful, right? I'm not, I didn't go out blind. I didn't go out and, and not look up how to perform some simple two-hand cast. I didn't go up and, and I know how to swing a fly. I've read articles on this for the past five years. Like I, it's not like I'm flying blind. The difference was, is that I challenged everything that I read and chose to ignore things that I didn't like or agree with. Now, that didn't sit well with some people, which I find fascinating that they find the need to tell me. 
but they do <laughs> because that's our that's our industry. Everybody has an opinion. Jason tells you know? me all the time. Mm-hmm. Fishing too fast, <laughs> bud. Fishing too fast. Gunner, don't you go on Facebook? Everybody has their own opinion, and they're not afraid to tell anybody about it. I hate it. Facebook. I, <laughs> I hate social media. If you can't tell, I'll basically post a picture, and then I'll hide for about two days, and then I'll reply to everybody with, like, a morning coffee. But I don't just sit there and read everything because it'll drive you crazy. So I have, a, que- fun. I have a question for you. After you named that video Intro to Swing, did you Google that at all? Uh, I did not. That's you, you okay. shouldn't. I should have thought about that. <laughs> Hopefully, the keywords are prelude. The, the keywords are probably like. Mm, I know you, you like know, the, the keywords I, aren't safe either, are they? I know you like, like to keep it G-rated, or, but, <laughs> but they'll swing, do that. <laughs> down and across. It's, uh, it's more like in and out. Yeah. So. How can we dirty up snap tees? I don't know how to snap tee. <laughs> Basically, the only thing I know about roll casting is you need to set a dang anchor and then do a roll cast. I don't know what anything is called other than I need to keep some freaking tension on that thing, set an anchor, and then roll cast. And so if it's upstream or downstream or across shoulder or up shoulder, I don't really care. I just do it however it should be done kind of naturally. But I don't know the name of anything. Hell yes, I'm I'm with you, man. Perfect. I literally don't know what anything Me neither. is called. Uh, get her out there, over there, and even with zero experience, like I could still do like a 65 foot roll cast. Like I think you know, it's just fancy roll casting. Pick that thing up, flop her down, get some water tension on it, rip it up, and boom, she gone. <laughs> she gone. But make sure you do it slow, right? So that we don't break your anchor. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> so, Hey, Gunner, where can everyone go to get these uh, these kits at, the tying kits? I got a website, streamersbygunner.com, which is funny because I don't sell streamers anymore. Uh, or you can Google my name. It'll come up. Or Bramers Custom Flies. It'll come up. Uh, How about yeah. the Google intro to swing? I wouldn't do that. <laughs> 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 Apparently, that's not, that's not a safe bet there. Um, and I don't know, the cool thing about the website, I've tried to organize it. Uh, if you've never tied flies before, I have, you know, my Tie Like a Pro series up there, my Beginner Predator Fly series up there. Uh, every, basically, pattern you can find on YouTube somehow. Yeah. We'll see. All right. So uh, you got the um, kits, apparel, what, any other goodies up on the website? I have nothing else. Well, I have, a, I started a merch site, which is, interesting um, so i got like <laughs> sweatshirts the coolest thing is i do sketch posters wait so do you have some... do you have gunner brammer trotskis <clears throat> no pieces of flair <laughs> i'm sorry but i don't have any buttons i do have a sticker um which you could dress your tailgate with some flair i suppose but i get my guess is you're running out of real estate you know yeah yeah my tail- anyway but I have these things called fly sketches or sketch posters, which I basically superimpose one of, because I sketch everything I tie. And I sketch everything before I tie it. And then I resketch it every time I update it, basically. And it's just so I remember. And then I, I scan those, remove the background, superimpose it over some of my photography, and then turn that into like a detailed recipe 
for each specific pattern. Um, so those are pretty cool, but if you're not into wall art, then it's not really up your alley. How big? How bigger would one? Half. How big would one of those be? They're a legit poster. They're like eighteen by twenty-four, so it's one and a half by two feet. Oh, okay, that's pretty cool. <clears throat> but I'm pretty stoked because if I keep up doing it for each pattern, eventually, if I, we ever move, I'm gonna have like a whole back wall that's gonna have every single pattern I've ever designed, all in poster form. It's gonna cover the whole freaking wall. It's gonna be sweet. You need to buy a movie theater and then just hang them up all <laughs> over the walls like movie posters. <sighs> right on. The only other thing I could think to talk about before you guys kick me off here, because I know I'm a chatterbox. No, you're fine, would man. Be, la, la, la. Would be four weights. I don't know if I don't know if anybody watched the the four weight chronicles this year. Not that it was a, it was not a good series, but it was funny to me to to try that. I don't. I learned so much about line tapers and about throwing meat on an ultra finesse streamer rig. And what was really cool is you have to understand when I got into fly fishing, I got into predator fly fishing. I have never basically ever dry fly fished or nymph fish, and I don't really care to learn it. Basically, I only care about streamers, and that's the only thing that's cool anyway. So, and then on top of that, the first resource I ever had was Kelly Gallup's book, Streamers on Steroids. Literally the first ever fly fishing resource I ever read in my life. So I have been brainwashed since day one that trout eat meat. And what's interesting is when you start with a six weight and 200 grain full sinking lines, and then you move up to seven weights and eight weights, and then you get into ESOX fishing and you're fishing 10 weights, 11 weights, 12 weights to then basically I was watching some Tom Bell videos and he was the guy who started Sunray fly fishing. And he has a whole series of rod called micro light rods. And it's designed around stillwater fly fishing over in the UK. So they're all like 10 foot models or 10, three or nine, six designed for long belly fly lines, carrying dry flies out accurately at a distance to rising trout and stock trout ponds. But I was fascinated by the fact that he was using a three weight or two weight or a zero weight or whatever he's doing when most people use a seven or an eight, because he's catching like five pound rainbows on this ultralight gear. And something he talks about, (coughs) he talks about, you know, literally using the full bend of that fly ride. Like how many people, go smallmouth fishing with like a seven or an eight weight. And you're only really fighting it with the tip of that rod or half that rod. You're not using the full eight weight unless it's a 20 incher. And, and yeah, like a 15 inch smallmouth will put a bend in a rod. But when you watch those four weight chronicles, I was catching 15, 16, 14 inch smallmouth and I was landing them in 20 seconds. It's not like you have to understand it was such a cool perspective to fish finesse streamers to mediating trout, to have to learn how to strip set because the rod doesn't have the power, to be able to play a 12-inch trout like it's a giant and stick Rockies and whatever, like big perch. Like it was, it was just fun because my roots before I got into fly fishing were ultralight spin fishing. I've always fished like a 6-4, one-piece medium light action spin rod with 10-pound power pro. Like that, that setup could do every single thing in the Midwest except muskie. Like it's, it's the greatest setup. And to me that four weight, I don't know if it was nostalgia or what, but it like, it brought me back to being a kid and sticking 25 inch walleye on a lightweight, medium light action streamer rod, pitching little finesse jigs and 
like my favorite way to spin fish is with finesse jigs. I love pitching jigs. Like it's my favorite way to fish. And basically I was just doing that with a fly rod. And what's really cool is when you learn about weight balancing, you'll see like in that perch video, I'm tossing that little bugger jig about 85 feet on a four weight. Like I could cast my four and a half inch season geezer 60 feet with a four weight sitting down in my kayak. Like that pheasant rump bait fish, all that pheasant hair, all those hackles, plus the marabou dressings, plus the small epoxy head on a saltwater hook, size six saltwater hook. I can cast that thing the full length of that fly line on a four weight. It's the sickest thing when you take Sadati's weight balancing principle and apply it backwards relative to fly size because the caveat to fishing streamers on a four weight is it's not a big enough rod to throw the fly. And that's BS if you know how to tie flies. It's not BS if you have to buy flies from other people. But if you know how to tie flies, you can throw anything on that four weight, even a 12 inch slammer. And you, you proved that with some of the videos that you, you put up. Sadati proved it. I, I tested it out and I was tickled to death. I couldn't believe it. I made like a 60 foot cast with that slammer. And I was just like, Holy crap. Like <laughs> it wasn't even like a big poke. It was just like a 60 foot cast in my backyard. But I was like, that was nuts. Like the fact that I could do that was nuts because you have to understand when I got into predator fishing, uh, I think I had like a nine weight with an eight weight line, which is a garbage intro to predator fly fishing. It was a mid belly line. It was probably like a 45 foot head, all purpose floating line that I got from a local shop for sight fishing carp on Lake Michigan. Okay. And I was trying to throw basically a Nicholas Bauer, 12 and a half inch tube fly on the thing. And I could not cast 30 feet to save my life. So to then take a 12 inch slammer and cast it 60 feet on a four weight, I just about crapped my pants. <laughs> yeah, that that's, <clears throat> it's a big, big improvement. And it was nuts. Yeah. And so that's what, if you, if anybody goes to my website, the thing you should actually read is I wrote a 5,500 word blog post about how to get outfitted for streamer fishing because, and I've seen this recently on social media, but it seems like everybody is concerned about sink rate. Like, like sink rate is some magical all purpose thing. And yeah, I think your fly line is the most important thing of anything. But what nobody seems to talk about is fly line taper. Everyone just takes it for granted that the fly line companies have something labeled as a streamer line. And they don't ever question what a streamer line looks like or what it, the taper diagram should be or what the head length should be or how that head length should impact the fly rod length and, and how that fly rod length, it impacts your casting stroke and your fatigue and what retrieve you should use. Like, <clears throat> people like to talk a lot without teaching anybody anything. And I, I don't understand it. So if you're interested in how to start streamer fishing and not have the experience that I described with a nine weight with an eight weight line that was 45 feet long on the belly and it sucked like to beat hell, you couldn't cast anything on it, read that article. Because you don't need a new rod. What you need is a new line and you want a 30 foot head and you should get a shooting head taper more likely than not or spade taper if you're someone who needs a high degree of accuracy. And man, you put the right taper fly line on that thing and even a weightless, unweight balanced fly, you're going to be able to bomb at 50, 60 feet effortlessly. It's just all on fly line taper. 
Yeah. Yeah, man. And everyone has a fly line taper that they prefer. Uh, you know, I found That's some that true. I found some that I really hate. Oh my god! But there's a lot more that I really like. I just I don't I don't always understand what is talked about and what is not coming from somebody who basically learned it the hard way. I didn't have anybody tell me what fly line I should buy. I just bought ten different fly lines until I found the one I liked. And then you start looking at all the tapers and you start asking questions why. And what's been really fun is I have a, a mentor, Captain Ian Devlin. And out of everybody I've ever talked to, he's basically the only person who's ever been a straight shooter with me. And I've been like, look, here's the entire history of fly lines from A to Z. And this is what you need to know for your fishery. And it's, he's probably the most knowledgeable person on the subject that I know. But... Yeah, we had yeah. Ian. We had Ian on the show. Oh, geez, it was like a year and a half ago. He he knows his stuff for sure. He's a, a wicked smart dude. Um, and you know he like he de- he designed the award winning G Loomis short stick, and the whole concept of using a shorter fly line for or a shorter fly rod for distance casting, is absurd. People don't talk about that. You want to cast far, you fish a long rod. And it's just like man, you're fishing a thirty foot long shooting head belly. You don't need a Ten and a half foot rod to throw it, or a ten foot rod, or a nine six, or a nine three, an eight foot rod, seven six rod, seven eleven rod. That'll control a thirty foot head perfectly, and it's more efficient. You're not fatiguing yourself. You don't have the same lever arm on that 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 four hundred grain line is acting upon. It doesn't. It's just all about leverage, and obviously, musky fishing and pike fishing is different because you need your figure eight and you need some reach, and you got to try to fine tune everything to that fly rod and your circumstance, but. I just hate when people go to a fly shop that's trout oriented and they put somebody on an all purpose line because they're trying to sell them the idea of dry fly fishing and nymph fishing and swinging wet flies and small streamers. It's like, man, if you're going to a fly shop for streamer fishing, that head better be 35 feet or less. If, if it's not, they did it wrong. Like I'm just, I'm just going to be a prick and I'm going to tell you they did it wrong. And they tried to sell you something that you could use for everything when you need a specific tool to do a specific job so that you can do that job well. Uh, I'm going to throw one under the bus, okay? If you go to a fly shop and they give you a real gold line for streamer fishing, that's not right. I'm just saying. I'm happy with that. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's a great, great line for what it's made for. It's not made for streamer fishing. Nymphing? I mean, you could throw <clears throat> time out because this is the problem with going to a shop like that. You could throw woolly buggers on it, but a woolly bugger ain't a streamer, now is it? It is glorified. In all techni- glorified wet fly. You're, if if you're gonna get technical on I me, mean, that's fine. In all technical terms, I think it is a streamer, but but so is a Mickey Finn, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't count. When you want to go streamer fishing, you're talking four inches and up. Toss a piece of meat out there, because uh, like we went ice fishing today. <clears throat> went to the store, bought a bucket of fathead. Even a fathead is like three and a half inches long. Like, come on, man, a three-inch fathead? You're telling me you're gonna fish a woolly bugger? Everything <laughs> can eat a fathead. A bluegill can eat a fathead. Like, come on, man. Like, fish a real fly. It's not that hard. Yeah, but and then if you think about it. Most of the articulated flies just have woolly buggers as the ass end. You know, the it whole drives back- me crazy. This, <laughs> is, I, <clears throat> this has been like a rant session 
Okay. I got one more thing to add because this drives me nuts. No, hey, okay. rant away, man. Hey, I, if you can't tell right now, uh, I'm by myself. <laughs> Everyone else has left, so it's just you and me, Gunner. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, it's pretty late over there, so I won't hold it against them. <laughs> yeah, everyone has their kids; they have to get home. My yeah, my, my kid just my wife walked next door. Putting them down solo. So, but check this out. <clears throat> I uh, the trout industry. I keep saying the trout industry. I am prejudiced against the trout industry. If you can't tell, everybody listening, um, I don't know why but I've walked into too many fly shops where nobody said hi to me, greeted me or asked me how my freaking day was. They just basically look at you and you're like, "Mm, you're a kid who doesn't have a big enough checkbook. We're not going to give you our attention. And it drives me nuts. And so there's these guys in the industry who are very uh, multidisciplined and they tie wet flies, dry flies, nymphs. They might even be some of the best in the world in those specific categories. And they also tie a streamer basically. And they like to talk about how they're not a one-trick pony, about how they're very diverse and how they tie all of it. And they tie it well. And when you look at that one streamer, the thing that kills me is it's almost always an articulated bugger. Yeah. Always. It's a freaking articulated bugger. Maybe you put a craft for a wing on it. Maybe it's got a craft for a dubbed head. Maybe it's whatever, but it's a bugger. That's all you do. And I'm sorry, but unless you're Russ Madden, you shouldn't be bragging about it. He has every right to, though. Right. And so it's like, <laughs> when I, I might be a one-trick pony. So what if I only tie streamers? I tie synthetic flies. I tie natural flies. I tie feather flies. I tie bucktail flies. I tie deer hair flies. I tie three, five, seven, nine, eleven, and 13-inch flies. I tie them weightless. I tie them weighted. I tie them jig hook. I tie them swim bait hook. I have a freaking pattern for every single thing that imitates a bait fish of nearly every single silhouette throughout every single category in every single material discipline. If you're going to sit here and give me a hard time about being a one trick pony, do your dang research. Okay. Because I don't just tie an articulated bugger. Yeah. And uh, that was a little aggressive. I'm sorry, everybody that that (laughs) came off a little intense there. Aggro out, man. But Hey, it's not just, that you have different patterns and different size patterns and different movements of patterns. You also have to fish them different ways to be effective, you know, whereas the nymph guys, they watch a bobber, you know, make sure you have a drag free drift and watch a bobber all day. Yeah. I, I'm just saying, cause I did that all day on Friday. So I, I understand it. It gets boring and you, you just watch a bobber <laughs> all day. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> speechless. What, are you? I don't know, man. Are you speechless that I was indie fishing? No, no, no. <laughs> I, there's, I have no whatever, man. Each their own. I don't care what anybody does. Yeah. I went ice fishing today. We were dropping fatheads and suckers in those holes. So did you catch any crappie? Uh, okay. So this is how our day went. We took my two and a half year old. First ever time ice fishing. Basically, basically we went out there. After about the fourth hole, we drilled to check our, our depth and if we were on the weed edge and whatnot, he had basically had enough. So we're like, all right, we're just going to set up the shack, drill our three holes, two for jigging, one for the Vexlar, get the tent set up. Everybody's inside, got everything down. After about 30 minutes, I got my back turned. My wife's outside of the tent looking at a tip up or something. Kid's foot goes through the hole all the way up to oh, his crop. No. And it was a mad dash back to the truck. Oh. So. We didn't catch nothing. All that bait went to the trash, and it was a miserable afternoon. So what are your air temps up there? 
this has been the warmest year ever. And we still have probably eight inches of ice right now. I mean, December, was he safe getting back to the truck with his, oh, yeah, he without was his totally pants fine. freezing? Today was hot. Okay. Today was like 35 or something and sunny. Oh, okay. Yeah, golden. And like Wednesday, it's going to be like negative six. So like this is very warm. And he, like <clears throat> the fact that like normally you're ice fishing by Thanksgiving or like December 1st, like it's – I remember – it must, have, it must have been the Christmas before he was born because we did a gender reveal. And it was negative 25 out on Christmas. And it'll be like zero to negative 25 for like a week and a half straight. And that's very normal. Like if it's above zero, you're happy. If it's above 10, you're like, whoa, it's a warm day. And then this whole winter has been crazy because like if you, re- if you watch that musky video, I stopped fishing like October 15th because our lakes were freezing in the middle of October. And then we had this crazy thaw at the end of October. It's like 80 degrees for like two days. And then November was cold again. And then it was hot again. And then it was cold again. It's like we had ice, no ice, ice, no ice, no ice. No, it's like not safe to ice fish. It's too chunky to get a boat in. I already packed everything away. Everybody's still fishing down in Minneapolis and down in Hayward. And everybody's catching muskies. And I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> like, I'm just too far north by like. 50 miles or 100 miles. Just so you know, it's not just the weather this year that has sucked, you know? <laughs> Everything about 2020 has been goofy and weird and shitty, I think. <laughs> I suppose. I'm pretty, um, oh, what's the word? I forget. Whatever. I'm very just kind of nonchalant, do whatever. I yeah. Don't really care. Basically, when they were like, everybody has to stay home, I was like, as long as I can go fishing. If you tell me I can't go fishing, you and I are going to have problems. Yeah. Well, because I'm going to disobey that <laughs> to your face and fight it tooth and claw. Oh, I know, man. My, like I said, my wife, she was off work for three months, and it, it was weird. But, you know, it, it's over now, and everything's turning around. I think it's going to be good. So, you know what? It is what it is. I think 20, 2021 is going to be a good year for everyone. Hold on. The fishing this year, so like it was just a nice year because my kid was old enough. Basically, I fished my butt off this year. The past, ever since he was born, it's like basically I didn't fish the year he was born, but I got to go to Brazil, so that made up for it because I got a ton of time on the water. And then last year was kind of like hit or miss, like every other week, maybe once a week. This year I got to go pretty hard because he was actually old enough, and it was a good age. To... Did you take him, or was he old enough that your wife could handle him by herself? Uh, both. I, I try to be as accommodating as possible for my wife. So like I'll wake up at five 30 and fish six to 10 and then be back by lunch and help put them down and do yard work and whatever. So like anytime you see a fishing video of mine, I'm not fishing for a whole day. I'm fishing for like two hours or three hours. And it's usually either the butt crack of dawn or I fish after dinner till sunset. And so I don't, I don't get to choose my days based off the moon phase. I don't get to change uh, based off the weather. I go fishing when it's appropriate for my family. And I try to make it as good as I can for everybody. I, I'm the same way as you, Gunnar. Uh, Mark, we'll, we'll throw him under the bus. Mark that has left. <laughs> he, uh, he watches the moon phase and he fishes it hard. I, I fish when, you know, just when I can. And I don't watch moon phases or moons uh any of it because uh i figure when i get to fish 
I'm just going to fish the fuck out of it. I'm sorry. As much as I can. And, uh, just let the cards lay, you know, that's totally fair. That's just how I roll. <laughs> Brazil taught me something that was very interesting because, uh, it was, it was one of the first times ever that I'm not in control. You know, when I go fishing, I, I have no experience up here. Nobody, nobody tells me where to go. I don't ask for anybody's opinion. I basically scout everything on Google Earth. I go there by myself. I fish it. If it's productive, it's productive. If it's not, it's not. There's no outside input. And when I'm fishing in a boat, I have to do all the casting and the boat control and all the decision making. And when I'm in my kayak, the same thing. And when I was in Brazil, I don't have to do boat control and I don't have to do where we are and when we're there and how far from the bake. Like that guide is doing all that work for me and I'm just casting. And it was a really cool experience because it's basically the first time in five years I've ever been able to just put my head down and cast and work it and cast and work it and cast and work it. And the thing about Brazil is there was no freebies. It's not like an easy fishery. It's not like you go to a farm pond and catch a bunch of bluegills on spiders. Like you have to make the right cast at the right depth with the right retrieve and strip it home. You have to work for every single fish that you catch. And that means that when the fish is good, it's good. And when it's slow, it's slow. And even when it's slow, that bite could be a 15 pounder. You don't know. And that's very applicable to musky fishing because it's just about keeping your head down and covering water. You just can't get discouraged. Even if it's been three hours, it doesn't matter. It could be three days in a row and you haven't seen a fish. It doesn't matter because that next cast could be a 50 incher that's going to slam that thing boat side and it's going to make your year. And I, I will add to that. I'm not even saying it's, it's not get discouraged, but it's not get lackadaisical and not let your mind wander. You know what I mean? It's hard, man, because yeah. like going back to those stained lakes, I, there was more, I gave up more times than I'd like to admit. Like you would cover a productive area for an hour and not move anything. It's like, man, this is just hard. And what was really satisfying about fishing a bucktail is I knew they could find it. <clears throat> and that's why immediately after catching two fish on homemade spinners, I tied everything with a rattle and a wiggle tail because I knew they would be able to find it. That's the only thing I cared about. I didn't care if it had a glide or a show or anything. I only cared that they could find it. Yeah. You and the vibration in the water. So dark and there's so much pressure and it's so choked with weeds. And it's like, if they can't ever find it, they can't ever eat the thing, no matter what it looks like. And that's a hard pill to swallow because nobody, you know, whether if you're fishing Lake St. Clair, none of that matters. Like you're fishing a clear water fishery that's open water casting with bait fish and like banging the banks in a, a river like the St. Croix is not that dirty and the Mississippi's not that dirty. The, the Mississippi up in Grand Rapids is crystal clear. And it's like even the St. Louis, if it hasn't rained in two months, I cannot see anything. I got to sight fish. One fish this year, one smallmouth I saw eat. That I, I, I saw him, I saw him swim away, I pitched a cast, I saw him eat one fish <laughs> in an entire year. I probably caught 250, 300 fish this year. I did not see a single fish except one. 
Huh. And it's like every time I fish, every time I successfully catch a fish, it's because I read the water, I, I understood the currents or the weed edges or how the, just whatever the conditions are, your ability to read water is everything when the water stains. And just time on the water, time on the water, time on the water, check it, check it, check it. And this was the first year I have ever seen a sucker in the river. And then I only found it because it was dead belly up. And so that white, I could see it in about two and a half feet of water because <laughs> yeah. the white is just crazy white. Yeah. It's like, it's so insane to me because I've fished. I went down to Hayward one year and I was at the, the Hayward fly fish, the fly shop. And Larry was like, Hey, you should go to this section of stream, whatever. And I, I go there and I hike out and I can see schools of perch at my feet, a smallmouth swim downstream. Oh, I spooked a pike into that hole. Like, there's like carp and red horse everywhere, like all over this tail. Like I could, there was life. Like I had proof. I was like, Oh my goodness, this river has fish in it. <laughs> like, well, your, your river has fish in them too. It's just, you can't it, see it. <laughs> it's loaded. But the, if you look at a sucker or a red horse or a smallie or a walleye, that back color is perfectly suited to a tannic cobble river. I don't care how good your vision are, how good your polarization is, what, how perfect the light is. If you spent every day on that river, my guess is you would not see 10 fish in a whole year. The only thing I see ever are just little bait fish because they're in about six inches of water on top of the ledges and they refuse to go over that ledge because as soon as they go over that ledge, they're dead. Yeah, they're snacks. And so it's, it's just crazy to me. It's open. A clear water is very addicting. It, we it, went. Uh, it is. We drove home, uh, and on the way we stopped in Ashland, and Schwamigan Bay, and we just walked out on one of the piers with Hez so that he could kind of get a break from the car ride because it's a nice distance from Duluth, like an hour and a half or so, hour fifteen, and you could see, in twenty foot of water all the way to the bottom. I was like, oh. I could sight fish so many smallmouth. Like I would spend every day <laughs> sight fishing smallmouth the rest of my life. But I don't know. There's something very cool. Because this year I caught channel cat. This year I caught four or five walleyes in a section of river I've never, ever caught a walleye in in the past five years. It's like there's something very exciting about a warm water river that I don't know if it's a musty or a pike or a 10-pound channel cat or a 20 inch walleye or a lake run, whatever. Like it's a lot like a saltwater fishing. You never know what you're going to pull up. That's kind of cool to me. It's, yeah. it's very exciting, especially when it's a heavy tug. It's very exciting. <laughs> exactly. You're like it's either a 30, 30 inch walleye or about a, a 15 inch channel cat. <laughs> they fight about the same. <laughs> yeah. You, that's about right. <laughs> so uh, that's silly. All right. Well, hey, Gunner, I think we should uh, let's cut this off here right now. And uh, I want to thank you for your time, brother. This was good. Thanks for having me. I, uh, if I said anything that was a little aggressive, forgive me. Not that anybody probably listened this long, but uh, as always, thanks for having me. And yeah, I enjoyed it.